You better be listening to Slezoids or I must break you. They hunted him down. You know, Colonel, we went to a lot of trouble to find him. They murdered his friends. And they took the only thing he would kill for. If he wants your kid back, then you better cooperate. Right? Wrong. They didn't count on the cook. like some special forces guy or something. No, I'm just a cook. Oh my god, we're gonna die. This is not the work of a cook. I want you to coordinate your efforts with us. Yes, sir. I see that you completely disobeyed my orders. Roger that. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise, and at the end of each episode along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. I'm not 100% sure if we're still doing this, but I think we're going down bad mode next week. So Josh will enlighten you a little later on. Join us, please. <laughs> we decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an honor shout out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for. We are entering our fifth year of bonus episodes. There's like uh, 100 plus as well as our bonus transmission series where we talk about new release genre films, which there should be one coming soon for some of these first films of 2022 to mm-hmm. look forward to. So again, that interests you at all. Patreon.com slash podcast. And we do have quite a few people who made the jump this week. We're going to give them their shout outs here. We had uh, Andy Pennell um, sign up. We had Jaden Daly. We had Alina Goebel. Uh, we had Peter Tenuto. We had Mike Nelson. Um, we had Alex Walsh, who actually upgraded from the $10 a month to the uh, f- full $10 a month at the year rate, because anyone, you can get oh, a, nice. a slight discount if you sign up for an entire year. Alex Walsh just got an entire year in advance, so thanks so much to Alex. Yeah. And also, he's going to be joining us for the monthly virtual screenings that we do for exclusively for the $10 patrons, which we always do near the end of the month, usually the last Thursday of the month. Yeah, those are um, fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, we also have uh, Eric Hilliker. We have Oliver Quinn Miller. We have Ryan Weigand, uh, Aiden Hadley. Wow, it was a big one this month. I didn't realize how many people. Uh, Aiden Jameson McCarthy. We had Zachary Souza, Jared Walker, um, Josh Heaps, and W. Buttry, who also upgraded from $5 to $10 this month and will also be joining us for the monthly virtual screening. So thanks so much to all of you folks. Hope you're enjoying those um, bonus episodes. We appreciate the support. Yeah. Um, the other plug for the week, as always, is Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts and I see the stats, I know that you are. I see you right now listening on Apple Podcasts. Scroll down to the very bottom right now and give us a good old rating and review down there. It helps us uh, climb the ranks over at iTunes and find new listeners. And then the very last plug is merch. If you guys like the poster art that local based out of Toronto horror artist Trevor Henderson did for the podcast, you can get that basically put on anything that you can think of. And we got some freaks out there. Some people have bought (laughs) some pens, some people have bought some pillows. You can put it on a shirt. You can just get a poster, whatever you would like. That link is in the description of every episode, as well as over at sleezoidspodcast.com for anyone interested. 
But yes, that is the intro. Welcome back to another week. As always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, is my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome. I think two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys over on the main feed would have heard from us, and we would have had special guest Esther Rosenfield making her third appearance um, on the show, joining the exclusive club of uh, <laughs> guests who have uh, returned, uh, if not every year, at least every year and a half to the show or so. And uh, she brought with her the most Esther double feature that <laughs> could have possibly been conceived of, because for anyone unfamiliar, I'm assuming you would should be familiar if you're a listener of the show, but Esther is really into two things, Nohibu Obayashi, um, the filmmaker out of Japan, as well as found footage horror. So the double feature we talked about uh, two weeks ago was The Discarnates, a little sort of uh, uh, dreamy, sort of nostalgic little ghost story that goes full exorcist mode in like the last 10 minutes or so, directed <laughs> by Nobuhiko Obayashi, uh, the director of House. And then uh, it was paired with Ghost Watch from 1992, which is one of the great pieces of prank art ever yeah. conceived. It is basically the Blair Witch Project, but what if it was a bunch of dry British BBC broadcasters who experienced that? And the whole thing is designed to aesthetically replicate as if you are watching a BBC live uh, broadcasting program for the hour, and then it just gets full spooky hysteria by the end. So it comes a nationwide uh, experience. It's awesome. Yeah, 11 million people watched that. They got 1 million calls the night that it aired, and it was the first piece of media ever blamed for genuinely giving children PTSD. So <laughs> if that interests you at all, that was the discussion two weeks ago. Yes. Love it. Um, and, and then last week over on the bonus feed over on the Patreon uh, exclusively, we talked about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre films that nobody <laughs> talks about and nobody remembers except for uh, the people who listen to this show. <laughs> and those were Leatherface, Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 from 1990, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation from 1994, <laughs> which had Matthew McConaughey going mega cage mode. Yeah. Um, so we had a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun talking about Texas Chainsaw because there's a new one out for Netflix. It's already out by now. By the time of recording this, we haven't seen it yet. But by the time you're listening to this, uh, we might have seen it by then. We might have some <laughs> reviews up. Not sure. Not looking for too much forward to it, honestly. No. But it was a lot of fun going back and seeing what how they were trying to turn the Texas Chainsaw franchise into like a Halloween or a <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, kind of failing to do so in, in some fun ways. But yes, that was the, the bonus episode again, patreon.com slash Lee Zoids podcast. Uh, for anyone who's interested, that was last week's episode. But moving on to this week, we have a uh, very special guest joining us. He is a comedian. He is a TikTok influencer. He is an all around <laughs> bad boy and ladies man of Twitter. And uh, he is the host of a podcast called A Closer Look that he does with another friend of the pod, Nate Fisher, and that guest this week is Will Sennett. Will, how you doing? What's up, boys? How are we feeling? Good. <laughs> are we feeling, feeling good. Macho. Feeling macho. Dude, how I'm, many Red I'm, Bulls did you say that you you had? I today? have five. I am. My eyes are vibrating. I'm bleeding <laughs> from my nose. I am. I'm as vascular as Arnold Schwarzenegger is in Commando. That, that's what we need for this episode right now. Because I mean, Will, I'm, I'm sure as you know, the guests bring on the double features when they come. So, what two films have you brought with you this week, and why did you pair them together? So, I brought uh, 
1985 Arnold Schwarzenegger Commando. And then I bought 1992 Steven Seagal Under Siege. And these are two high-octane action movies that uh, I think display both of these titans at their absolute best versions of themselves. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, these yeah. these to me are interesting because we've we've talked a lot about Arnold on the show and we've actually recently actually talked about Seagal, maybe not quite as much, but, you know, we've done two full episodes on Seagal now. Yeah. Um, so we've we, we've we've covered at least like four plus movies from both of these actors on the show. Schwarzenegger, probably a lot more, actually. And these two were interesting because we hadn't really figured out what the pairing was going to be for any of these. So it's very funny combining them both together, because in my mind, these are both like just cable dad classic actioners that these <laughs> actors happen to be in like they did some films that were bigger they did some films that were weirder but like these do represent kind of like <laughs> the leanest purest kind of most well-known yeah. version i think of these two particular uh legends for us <laughs> absolutely no and it's funny that you say that because these movies hold a near and dear place in my heart because both of these movies were when like my mom would like leave the house and my dad would be like, hey, want to see a fucking movie? You know? And we just play it on AMC. And I would sit there and I would just like look over at him periodically throughout the movie. He would just be like nodding, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He'd be like, this, this is, right. is it, dude. Yeah. That is, that is the primary way to enjoy these films, I feel like. With, with, with your dad, got a cold one on the couch right beside you. And he's just like, yeah, do you know what? Arnie's, he's speaking facts right now. This when, is what being a man is about. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, St throwing a knife through a man's neck from 50 feet away. <laughs> Taking no prisoners. Taking awesome. zero prisoners, snapping everybody's <laughs> neck, everybody you come in contact with, murdering them. It's great. Always having an answer. Yeah, I, I, I love these. These are fun. That's right. All right. Well, yeah, so we're going to be talking about Commando 1985 and Under Siege, which was 1992, and both by filmmakers that we have also previously talked about uh, on the show, Mark L. Lester and Andrew Davis. So I'm excited to jump into it here. We are going to start off chronologically with uh, Commando. So I'm to kill you last. That's what it did. I lied. <laughs> If it's a mission no man can survive, he's the man for the job. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Commando. Let's party. All right, we are talking Commando, the 1985 American action film directed by one Mark L. Lester, who is a filmmaker that somehow we've worked our way around Commando, even though it's like objectively <laughs> his most like popular film that he ever made. But we've already talked about on the show Class of 1984, his insanely gruesome like teen drama turned like rape revenge style film. And then uh, we also talked about uh, the film that he did uh, in 1991 called Showdown in Little Tokyo when we were which was part of Dolph Month when we covered uh, the career of the underrated uh, project chooser and performer known as Dolph Lundgren and uh, yeah and that that also had him co-starring with Brandon Lee it was like yeah. <laughs> oh sick 
It is a wild yeah. One. So it was yeah. It was it was it was an odd odd couple buddy cop kind of thing. But Dolph is like the um m- meant to be someone who appreciates Japanese culture. Oh, <laughs> Brendan about it. It's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I, yeah. That was one of my favorite details of that movie. Yeah, and I so bet he was, nails it. Oh, he does. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, Dolph, yeah. Dolph I learned a lot. Is, was a lot of fun to talk about. We <laughs> spending a whole month talking about him. Now he's in the in, he called in. He's in the intro to every show now. Dolph yeah. is a legend. And, Absolute um, legend. He kind of got dwarfed by the popularity of one massive star by the name of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, obviously, we've talked about Arnold tons of times on this show. Everyone's familiar with Arnold. We don't need to give everyone the breakdown on Arnold. <laughs> but if anyone is interested, we did do a huge deep dive once. And I think it is kind of like a great episode to start with before you even jump into some of the other Arnold ones. We had Chris yeah. Cabin on back and we talked Pumping Iron um, <laughs> and Last Action Oof. Hero with him. We kind of talked sort of like the his first time being introduced to the world and then around the time in his career where he was becoming a little less confident and he was kind of, you know, his image was in a little bit of trouble and he was playfully kind of weaponizing it and using it yeah. in, in interesting ways. Um, if you want to get to know the man, those are the two films, I think, that you should watch. You really those are the ones where he, he accidentally reveals his sort of real self because a lot of the <laughs> yeah. time you see the kind of inhuman robotic way that he moves and delivers things and there's obviously something so compelling about the way that he looks and a lot of filmmakers really knew how to use that we've talked about how he was used in conan how he was used in the terminator how he was um, used in uh, that predator um, what was what was the one where he just shows up in his underwear and he's just butt naked he doesn't say a thing he plays a guard just the most jacked guy of all like he when he comes on screen like it makes you gasp yeah yeah because he comes on screen so suddenly and out of nowhere you're like jesus christ dude <laughs> yeah he's he is just like he's and that's the reaction that he was designed to have he's gigantic he is a specimen he loves people looking at him we we loved yep. talking about when we did pumping iron that he he described that the feeling of nailing a beautiful uh-huh. pose and seeing people react in awe to him was literally the same thing as coming and he was like, like so coming, I, I, it's I like am I'm coming, coming all day, day every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, oh my yeah. He comes great. off as if you like watch it. It's funny because his, you know, his whole deal on purpose was like, I'm just like this fucking like big, but like also fun guy. But yeah, in yeah. that movie, he comes off as a psychopath. Oh, like, yeah. A complete he is villain. The, he's the villain. Oh, of that it's movie. crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Poor Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> You just just can't even see Arnold psyching him out and messing with him. Yeah. Poor Lou. It's Poor amazing Lou, to watch dude. him. I, I love that we're cutting to this, but it just learns. It teaches you about Arnold that it's just when he cuts to uh, like he's talk, he's showing somebody something and then it cuts to the interview where he's saying um, that he's actually trying to mess people up sometimes. And it's just to have those things back and forth just shows you exactly where his mindset was, at least in that time frame like because because he was just in that competitive mode and he was trying to break into stardom and all Mm -hmm. of that and he just he he was willing to do whatever he had to do (laughs) 
Yeah, well, I, I think it's an important place to start only because yeah. Arnold, as we've talked about him so many times, he's he's a very very self conscious performer. Whether mm-hmm. in some, whether it's used well or not is kind of you know up in the air depending on who's using him, because sometimes you just get him thrown into a movie that was kind of clearly not written for him, and he just kind of flounders. And sometimes you know his image is 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 really well used. And but there's something so important about knowing that because for me, Commando, I think if I was to try and describe an Arnold Schwarzenegger film to someone who had never seen one before, the image that I would conjure up in my head would be a movie like Commando. I don't even, it's, it's not my personal favorite Arnold and it's, but like it's, I feel like it just is sort of like how Jamie, I think you share my opinion on this. It's sort of like how, when you're trying to describe a Friday, the 13th movie to someone, (laughs) the fourth one is the one that you conjure up in your head. It's the one that is the basically most understood popularly what that, you know, it's got the teens, it's the cabins, it's the mask, it's the gory kills. It's the purest version of what image comes to your head when you say Friday the 13th to someone else. And commando I think is the capital a Arnold movie in the same way. It's, it's, it's really just the purest vision of that, the broadest vision of that in a way. And it's basically cut to the bone to be nothing but that. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. It's like, if it's like if you watched all the Arnold movies in like the span of two days and then somebody put a gun to your head and they're like, now you have to write an Arnold movie in two hours. Exactly. This is what you fell yeah, exactly. love with. It's this one and um, Raw Deal that I feel is like the, uh, yes. the, the very much like when I was watching The Simpsons as a kid and I saw McBain pop up all the time. I was always like I, I figured it was Arnold because I saw him here and there. Um, but just the way that the movies themselves were presented, like all the, the cheesy one liners and the dialogue and stuff. I find that Commando and Raw Deal are the Arnie's that I think when I think of like the parody, the, the McBain parody and all of that. Um, yeah, so absolutely. You know, Raw just, Deal, obviously, what was the, the second episode of this show where we paired it with Dirty Harry right. because it looked like it was like it had a Dirty Harry premise to it. We were just like, yeah, we'll pair it with Dirty Harry, whatever. And then it turned out to basically be a legitimate McBain movie. Like it was an yeah. American Polizio <laughs> Tetsky. The tones and performances are so out of like an Italian crime film. Yep. And Arnold is just placed in the middle of it where he's meant to be an all American sheriff who goes under cover into the Chicago mafia. Oh, that's and awesome. Wa- watching him try to go bond mode and, and suave clearly <laughs> doing a character that was written for like more of an Eastwood or a Bronson type, but just on and still in this portion of his career in the mid eighties when he still struggled to just get lines out and say them correctly. And right. it's so baffling watching him play a character like that. Whereas like something like the Terminator, for example, it, it used that quality. It used his limitations and built it into the text yeah. in a way that that movie just didn't. I and God, Rod Deal. I was just, this one I think does that a little bit better. Uh, noticing his, but that's um, because it just cuts the lines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it just, it makes it never blinks for a second. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, the whole the all the mechanics of the plot are to get him to the next one liner. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why it works so beautifully. It, it never strays from that from that sort of like goal. And it, and it just it, it and that's and you never whenever something insane happens, you don't even have time to register 
that that was an insane thing because another in- insane thing is happening. It's like you're a baby and the movie's jangling keys in your face. Yeah, yeah. this movie fucking moves. That's yes. the real and thing about it. The thing about with Raw Deal too, like Josh, you were saying how they try to pull him off as this like all-American sheriff. I like that at least in this, they have one line where he's like, I was born in Austria. So it just kind <laughs> of makes sense. Like it, it, in a way it almost... You could argue it kind of ruins that fun illusion of Arnold trying his best to pull off a all-American sheriff, but um, it's mm-hmm. I still kind of like that they incorporated that just because they might have I don't know it felt like somebody read like a critique here and there of some of his movies and they're like well we'll just throw that in so they can't throw that at us. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and we'll, also we'll, in like we'll the most efficient way, which is the whole and just like one line being like, "I was born in Austria," and then it just moves on, you know, yeah. which is so great. And it kind of well, yeah, and not only premise. that, they, they, they try to naturally put it in because you're talking about the the part right where he's like he's eating breakfast with with his his daughter Jenny, played by Alyssa yeah. Milano, very young Alyssa the, Milano. He makes the comment about boy George. <laughs> yes, he's so, like, why don't they call him girl George? I don't understand. <laughs> which <laughs> is a killer lot of time. line. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah and then that's when he, yeah, and he, he and, says and, the and, like and he, subversive he, communist thing so you know that he's like uh you know he, he's he's the he's still in his mind he's the all-american that's gonna fight for freedom and, and all that yeah yeah he was like maybe the communists were right about rock music in germany maybe <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't right. have it anymore um, and then you're supposed to say oh really loud as you're watching yeah that. <laughs> <laughs> um it, it, it it probably won't surprise either of you to know that this was originally meant to be before Arnold took it over. This was a meant to be about an Israeli super soldier. Like it was meant to be like, don't mess with the Zohan style. film. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Um, And it was, it was retooled. um, I believe when Stallone, who was at the time, Arnold's biggest competitor in in terms of box office one after the other they were going up against each other and um stallone was finally putting out rambo first blood part two which people were really excited about there was tons of writing in the trades and that movie went on as we when we covered it on the show we talked about it that movie went on to gross 300 million dollars um making it like an r-rated action movie and it was like the it was if it wasn't the number one film it was like the number two film of the year it did stupid money and so leading up to basically hearing about how popular it was going to be Arnold being the self-conscious kind of dude that he is. And he used the clout from the Terminator um, to retool what he was deemed going to be his Rambo type character. They even call Mm. him John Um, in this John Matrix. Matrix. Yes. (laughs) So awesome. Awesome name. So they brought on Stephen E. D'Souza, who wrote uh, later wrote Die Hard. Um, okay. He also wrote Running Man for Arnold. Mm-hmm. He wrote um, Judge Dredd for Stallone, 48 Hours for Walter Hill. And uh, he was the one who uh, retooled this script that Arnold bought to basically be his Rambo film. And it in, in the most generic sense possible, in terms of the broadest archetypes he could have came up with, this is his Rambo. This is <laughs> retired army guy. Uh, finds himself under assault and needs to protect his kid and the American way and versus a bunch of uh, psycho green berets and special ops guys and, of course, one Central American dictator uh, played by 
uh, Dan Hedea, which is very funny because we just talked about him again recently. We love him in Night of the Juggler, yeah, where he's, he's just so the guy good. blasting people away with a shotgun in the middle of busy New York City streets. Uh, <laughs> but we also just talked about him in uh, the Coen Brothers debut film, Blood Simple, where he is Ooh, just yeah. this little angry ball of energy, that man. And so... <laughs> watching him get casted as a dictator that just sits there and yells at Arnold. <laughs> it's very funny. The yeah. character, the, the, the side periphery character performances in this are all insane. Like Vernon oh Wells gosh. in this from the road warrior. Yes. <laughs> He's so fun, man. Of twi- he like is the most evil looking dude. Yeah. Oh no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're talking about Bennett. Sorry. Yeah, dude. Bennett yes. is the funniest, just this fat out of shape Australian yeah. guy. With- <laughs> Yeah. The cut-off chainmail <laughs> shirt. And he's like, I could kick Matrix's ass the whole movie. Yeah. And he's just like 30% body fat easily. That's like a schlub. The, that's one of the most entertaining things about the finale, which we'll get to, but that he is so much more out of shape, clearly, than Arnold and <laughs> smaller than Arnold. And and they're still trying to give off this, like, Arnold would have any issue kicking this guy's ass. But well, I, yeah, and, yeah. And he, and he's, he's got, like, the lamest porno stash. He's got, <laughs> like, a tight chain mail looking shirt on yeah. and fingerless gloves and he's just screaming things in his Australian accent and you're like this <laughs> he wears is like meant duster. to be the main psycho villain yeah. <laughs> and he wears a duster and he rolls the sleeves up on the duster apparently <laughs> just- uh Apparently Lester too said that he designed him to be like in love with John Matrix. He hated him. He sa- it says in this quote from the wiki here, he's like, uh, Bennett was in love with Matrix, but he hated him too. He wanted to kill him, but he was in love with him. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh. Note, notes of Shakespeare in this yes, movie. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It, it, it um, leads to some some fun interactions between the two, and just him on screen in general. Vernon is is just a lot of a lot of fun. He's he's willing to just chew the scenery and go crazy. So, and it kind of yeah, adds. Yeah. It's a good it's a good uh, counter to Arnie, who as fun as he is, is is still you know very stoic with all his line deliveries and and the one liner. So to have some like unhinged energy mixed with his very uh, stoic energy, I think works well. Yeah, well, because that's one of the main things I think about this and part of the reason that, you know, I think for me personally, um, like there's there's kind of like two modes of Arnold that I really take to. And one is genius filmmaker weaponizes his image and his limitations into the text of the film somehow. Obviously, Cameron knew how to do that a lot with his Terminators and his True Lies. McTiernan, obviously, with Predator and Last Action Hero, like the fact that. You know, they in in that film, especially in 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 Predator, they use the fact they use him as a symbol of like American might around the world and then have him be terrified and have his team massacred. And then Last Action Hero, you know, you have Arnold fighting a movie, Arnold fighting real life Arnold saying that you ruined my life. Like there's so (laughs) many great uses of him in the way that his career has went and then two it's he's cast in an otherwise normal movie that wasn't written for him and it's just the weirdest strangest movie you've ever seen in your life um yeah those are the two that i really take to and this finds itself in a weird middle ground where i could see this being starring someone else 
Um, mm. But they it's it's been so cut to the bone that they some of the weirdness is it either sometimes it's just very sudden or he doesn't get the opportunity to do it. And that's not a critique against the film because this is edited, I think insanely well by yeah. God of the show and of the pod, Mark Goldblatt. Um, he is the editor on such films as like the Terminator Showgirls, true lies, Rambo Two, last boy scout, bad Damn. boys Two. We've talked about him. We've talked about so many of the films that he's edited. Yeah. yeah and we've actually brawler. even covered the two films that he directed, uh, dead heat and yeah. the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie. Oh man! I, Only I, yeah, two I movies that he directed, both bangers. Yes, both bangers. <laughs> this yep. th- this dude knows action craft inside and out, and I think it was a very intentional decision with this film to be just a nonstop barrage of set piece machine movement. There's like no fat to it. Yep. He is a machine of just sheer will operating on like pure point A to point B logic for basically ninety straight minutes and the aggressively and, kind of economical editing to it, I think kind of resembles, um, that thinking, even though I do think that as a result, we don't have moments like some of the moments in raw deal where shit gets weird. <laughs> like when he's trying to flirt with the girl and he's like, you know, the thing I love about the bedroom, it always has a bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. like little, little grace character moments like that are unfortunately stripped of this film to be the kind of machine operation thing that it is. But um, at, with that being said, the action and how the movie really moves, you know, I don't know that I would really change that either. Um, so mm-hmm. th- there's there's a lot to really like about this. And I did appreciate that, you know, this starts the action from basically the first frame when the garbage truck is rolling up into the California suburb and like dudes are oozing people taking out their garbage and yeah. t- massacring his old team. Uh, and you know, you have like Bill Duke, you know, uh, doing his stone faced excellence thing that he does just reeking havoc and running <laughs> people over with cars, great squib work, great sort of like, uh, you know, blunt sort of brutishness, uh, to this and just massacring his own team in like an opening montage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's a, I mean, it's a great tone setter because you know, you're going to get right into the action and then it jumps to Arnold like, uh, chopping wood and, you know, uh, holding that giant log. And it's just that, that, that man's man image, um, and so yeah, just, close ups on his muscles. Yeah, and so the setup with the bad guys, like something's coming, and then they also mix that in when he's uh, chopping the wood, and his daughter is sneaking up behind him, but you don't know it's her. And they they do these shots of him kind of looking behind him, like he's he's always watching. You know, you can't sneak up on mm-hmm. this guy. He's just he's too aware of his surroundings. Um, and 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 then it turns into this like incredibly like almost adorable little montage of him and his cartoonishly wholesome. Yeah. Yeah, There's this scene where they're feeding the deer for like five straight seconds. (laughs) Yeah. Like this is taking her for ice cream, teaching her martial (laughs) arts, fishing, you know, Yeah, I think this is the big difference for me between like Arnie and who we'll talk about later with uh, Seagal, where Arnie is at least, um, willing to try to emote and, 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 uh, take some chances every once in a while. Uh, it does come off a little bit freakish sometimes just because of how giant the man is. And so when he does like this big laugh, there is something kind of just strange about it, but in a very likable way. Whereas I find Steve, uh, Steven Seagal, um, he, he just wants to stay like 
real low voice, cool guy the whole time. And he, he can never really express emotion because that would be uncool. That wouldn't be a manly yeah, thing Arnold to do. Arnold would eventually become incredibly animated and yeah. really work on things like his comedic timing. And I think he did become, you know, a pretty successful, you know, like actual oh, actor yeah. at a certain yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, my yeah. whole big, my whole big thesis for these two, do you, are you guys basketball guys? Are you guys not basketball really. Guys? I mean, not yeah. crazy. No, but you know of ba- yeah. You okay? I, of course. Well, uh, so I have an <laughs> I idea. Uh, like Arnold, Arnold is a lot like LeBron James mm-hmm. in the sense okay. that like LeBron has been able to uh, like be apex predator for twenty years because he's constantly willing to adapt his game. Right, like he starts mm-hmm. off when he's younger, he's the most athletic guy in the world. He's dunking all over everybody. As he gets older. He realizes that he can't do that anymore. And so he starts to, you know, focus more on passing, focus more on shooting, you know, right. and, and he, his willingness to change is what allows him like this kind of long term, absolute top of the food chain success. Whereas mm-hmm. I Seagal see that. I see that is like another famous basketball. I'm sorry. I'm talking a lot of basketball. I'm real <laughs> fired up about this stuff. Uh, it all works. We, we, we got some basketball like, heads in our discord. Yeah. OK. Yeah. This is for this is for the, the boys in the discord. Um, he's like Russell Westbrook. So guys like Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook, you know, started off his career once like really good, unbelievably athletic, could jump out of the gym, much like Seagal, you know, absolutely nailed it out of the gate. But then as time wore on and he became, you know, less able, you know, everybody kind of, you know, got wise to his shtick. You know, he mm-hmm. lost a step here and there. His stubbornness and refusal to change yeah. almost made him obsolete. Yeah. You know, I was, a lot sooner um, than it should have. I was discussing this with my brother after we watched Under Siege and it like as soon as it ended, I was just like, it's just such a I mean, you could say that Commando is, too, in a way. But I think Steven Seagal himself is just such a like an actor that is a time capsule in a way. He, He would never be successful in any other era except for the one that he was in. And I think that a big uh, reason for that is what you just said, just the unwillingness to change or anything. Whereas Arnie, he has, kind, you know, he's had some struggles, of course, but he's been able to progress and still keep his kind of celebrityism and his like good name and all of that um, throughout the years. Whereas you talk to people about Seagal and, you know, no one really respects him anymore whatsoever. So, right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's like, you know, people, you can, you can make fun of Arnold for doing kindergarten cop, but that made 200 million in the box office. You know what (laughs) I mean? Like that kept him relevant. (laughs) That kept him at the top of the chain. And at the end of the day, dude, that's, that's what it is all about. If you want to be like, a like capital M movie star is just bringing Mm -hmm. in the dollars any way you can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I think that part of what I do really appreciate about commando because it wasn't one of his biggest films and they, they didn't end up making sequels. I think they suggested possibly making one with him. And I think they might've even made a direct to video one without him at a certain point. I can't remember exactly, but I know that he turned down making a sequel because he was still in his phase of kind of being scared of them. Mm. Um, He wanted to just Mm. keep, you know, being asked to do like top level game from huge filmmakers and uh, not get locked into kind of like a franchise thing, um, which obviously he then eventually did eventually do with the Terminator to really <laughs> huge success. And then I think he kind of gave up with, you know, that rule after a while. Yeah. Um, but there there is something to be said about just how bluntly this uses Arnold, because other than this, like, wholesome sequence that we see in this beginning when he's eating with his daughter and she's like, here come the sandwiches. Um, <laughs> and then and uh I think Arnold asks her like what's in the sandwiches and she says that he wouldn't want to know. And I remember being like, 
it wasn't wasn't the deer right that's just all i was thinking well then i'm not eating it (laughs) yeah Yeah, also the biggest sandwiches i've ever seen in my life (laughs) yeah like they were the size of Alyssa milano's head and i was like she can't eat that (laughs) (laughs) they probably had to give it to ernie or else the sandwich would just look weird on screen (laughs) oh yeah. yeah but (laughs) <laughs> but like this movie just like starts really fast. Like it, in the yeah. this sequence literally gets interrupted by the helicopter coming into him. And it's, you know, that we find out that he's a former special forces op operative. Uh, and he, you know, took down a whole bunch of um, different, it, it sounds like he might've even done coups, Central American coups and taken down dictators and things like that, <laughs> which is why Dan Hedaya wants his country back. He's literally like, you are a one man army and you're going to get yeah, me my he, goddamn country back. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you were the poster boy for the for the revolution. It's like Arnold was in that country. That's like that's yeah. just like such a funny detail, you know. Like he's on the poster in, in Cuba or wherever, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it is like a fictional. They just like make up a country probably because they <laughs> they didn't want to get in any trouble for it because it was just it's so nonsensically deployed. The the like the the basic premise. Yeah. Um, or, or at least not investigated. It really just is a bare bones thing meant to set you up on the ride, which is, you know, incredible California location work. Uh, you know, you see all of these mountains, all of these roads, and you just have this army literally assault his house in the middle of the mountains, including um, uh, James Olsen from uh, Amityville 2 is like the general who shows up kind of asking for his help because his whole team has been ambushed and everything like that. I also like that he sneaks up on the general. So, so sick. Pulls his weapon and everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He, He sneaks up on this arm, the general, and like pulls his gun on him and points it at him. And he's just like, you fucking son of a bitch. You, you still got it, baby. (laughs) Still got it. He's the best. Uh, and yeah. but like within seconds of the general, him turning the general down and the general like flying away, his property is just assaulted. And there's it basically sets the tone for the rest of the movie. There's so much destruction and glass and gunfire. And yeah, Arnold was... immediately is grabbing his daughter and like throwing her into the house and like running back. And you're seeing soldiers with like their throat slit and bullet wounds. And it's very, very violent. Yeah, the uh, the one thing I, I would say that I want to praise when it comes to the destruction is the environmental destruction itself. Like so many statues There's are so much up of it. and, and yeah. walls like with the bullet holes and glass and all of that. Um, the and, and I do think that the blood squibs are, are pretty good for the most part. There are a couple moments that I found it was lacking just in impact. Uh, it's, it's more towards for me in the last 20 minutes in the finale. Um, there, there's some real good stuff in there too. I'm not trying to say it's, it's, it's bad or anything, but I did notice uh, a little bit of lack of impact and the blood squibs here and there, but the destructive well, environment is unbelievable. And I thought that that was a real, really good, uh, makeup for it. If- yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with you, but I, I don't know if it's like a lack of like what they had there. I think this sure. actually is insanely excessive and oh, maximalist oh, in terms yeah. of like the oh, amount yeah. of destruct destruction and the yes. size of the squibs and everything like that. But the, the way that I kind of looked at it was that unlike someone like, like say a James Cameron, who is of, you know, in terms of the way that he thinks about visuals, the way that he thinks about constructing set pieces and his form, there's a, there's a lot of ebb and flow and choreography to the way yeah. that an action scene moves. And we've seen Arnold move in scenes like that. McTiernan kind of has this too, obviously with like Die Hard and Predator and things mm-hmm. as well. And there is an element to this that 
is both a positive and a negative for me, which is that it can feel just very aimlessly destructive, (laughs) which is just like, it's, it's very flatly filmed, but they make up for it by just showing you so much shit getting fucked up. Yeah, That's the thing. I think it's just how like it, it, the, the images themselves sometimes connect to the violence. I I guess I, I agree. Like they they do show the squib work. It's just sometimes the way they have a shot. Huge. Like, like even in comparison to like under siege, which we'll talk about, which also has good squib work yeah no, like, they're like the, the size are of ca- baseballs each individual yeah, the, the squibs one. are cartoonishly yeah. huge in this movie <laughs> yeah and i think it's the way that they go from shot to shot doesn't always feel like it it, mm-hmm. it doesn't give that same impact because it's almost as if they should have shown it from like a different angle from where they were showing arnie shooting or something like that there's also a, a moment and i'm skipping ahead here a little bit but just we're on the topic so um, yeah, we can when, jump around. Yeah. When he, he turns around, it's when he's just going full commando mode and he, he turns around with the machine gun and it's two guys that are coming out of a house um, or a, a, a barrack of some kind and they get gunned down and there's just there's no blood whatsoever. And you even see the second guy kind of just fall. It doesn't really feel to me like he was impacted by the bullet or anything like that. And then there was another shot um, where he shoots up at a guard that's in like a watchtower and he just kind of, you know, gets hit and falls and there's no squib work. Now, these are kind of nitpicks, of course, um, but it's just that when it's within that kind of crazy action and then you do have the squib work, just those those subtle moments that that didn't have that same impact. I noticed more, I think. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So, yeah, I think I think. Yeah. That's and I. I totally because I think it is like moments like that that like prevent this from being like actually awesome. Like like on paper, it's like yeah. it's so close to being like fully cooked. But there are just like <laughs> little moments like that to where like right. if you like pay attention, you know, there's like there's an awesome scene and during this. There's a giant fight in the mall and there's this awesome scene where he like he swings onto the top of an elevator. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's and there's a like a like a full second shot where you just so clearly see his stunt double that it's like, it's, again, it's awesome, but like, it's also like, man, if you just didn't yeah. do that, we could have really be, you know, rocking and rolling. Yeah. Well, yeah. And more. I mean, there's that, 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 that huge explosion that goes off at one point, you right. can literally see that it's a bunch of dummies being held up by. <laughs> yes. like, uh, and the miniature. <laughs> yeah. Like I, the, yeah, there, but, and the thing was though, he, th- when he has these moments, I, I, I instantly like forget about them because he's They're just so leaning fast. to the next thing. <laughs> yes. And then you're like, yes, oh, okay, you can't well, even think about it. Yeah. yeah. And, and even that explosion, he mixes oddly enough, he mixes the real explosion with the miniature mm-hmm. explosion in a way that I think contradicts itself a little bit, like just on the image. Um, but because of him showing it like 10 times at different angles, <laughs> I just don't really care. Your brain puts I guess, it together. By the end of yeah. It. yeah. So it's, it's a <laughs> yeah, strange yeah. thing where I'm battling myself sometimes, but I still have a blast, you know? Yeah. It's very like crafty in that way. Like there's another scene uh, at the be- at, when they attack him at his house, when, they're getting away in cars and Arnold pushes his car down a mountain and he's going, <laughs> yeah, he's brakes. about to hit these cars without, without brakes. brakes. And these cars, they're just kind of winding the mountain and they're yeah. like, Oh my God, is he going to hit us? And they could stop at any time, but to prevent <laughs> you from having that thought, they're constantly cutting back to the shot of Arnold in the car, shaking so violently that yeah, it's just like rollicking that around like, oh in the driver's God. seat. Like is, is Arnold Schwarzenegger, the actor. Okay. Right now, like during this shot. And so it's, they do such, like I said, the baby with keys thing, but they really is the whole movie 
is almost like this sort of magic trick where it's like the second you start <laughs> to think about it, you know, uh, there's a, an explosion right next to your ear. And I think yeah. like, because yeah. I do think this is done, that was done intentionally. And that is like one of the things where I'm just like, oh, this movie rocks because it knew its limitations. And it's like, here's how we're going to fucking here's how we're going to zig whenever you think we're going to zag. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, there's, a, there's just something interesting and we'll, we'll discuss maybe some of the differences when we move on to under siege, but like there, there is a difference between someone like an Andrew Davis, who is someone who is, you know, more of like a, a very sturdy kind of competent, like knows the basic tools of, of suspense timing yeah. and things in a way that when you look at Mark L. Lester here, I don't think he actually <laughs> knows that stuff. This is just like pure maximalist. I'm going to put everything and we're going to cut it within an inch of its life so that anything you might question, you'll forget because you're already on to the next thing. I'm just going to keep yeah. hammering you with things. And so I think that that does cover that. up <laughs> some of the more incompetent elements of the film and just makes it, an absolute blast to watch because it's constantly on the move. Like again, his house is being destroyed. Then he's in the armory and he's firing back. And then they're being like, well, now we've kidnapped your kid. You got to cooperate, right? He's like wrong. Just shoot that <laughs> yeah. dude in the head. <laughs> That's There's so many awesome moment. moments where they have him dead to rights. And he's like, fuck you. And then just does yeah, the exact true. Fuck you. This movie's going to keep going. You can't oh, stop me. So great. Yeah. And then he's chasing them down the hill. They end up capturing um, him, not before he takes like two dudes down and like literally kicking people into the air off of jump pads and like <laughs> yeah. M16s hitting them going with flying. an M16 like a baseball bat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's that's one of the great elements um, I think of this because un honestly, the, the analog practical craft and the sheer amount of it is enough to make up for maybe how it's necessarily deployed. But it's the way that it, it's so bluntly used on things that are so completely physically absurd in like every way, like things that just don't make sense. But your brain, I guess, makes them make sense because Arnold is something that is also very physically absurd, like in the scene. He's doing things that just don't really make sense. And it's yeah. really great how easily you kind of just follow along, like when they have um, uh, David Patrick Kelly, uh, Jerry from Twin Peaks, uh, yes. shows up at one point here, swaggering through the airport in his little suit. <laughs> Um, just harassing a woman just harassing for, a woman for 20 minutes just not yes. it's so <laughs> great looking like the most <laughs> evil dude of all time like they really and shot him well in this like with his like insanely angular face and, and I they like put how, like this big suit yeah and he's and he's very he looks like he's too, like five so, five yeah. yeah so going up <laughs> against like arnie and the other guy that he has as a guard that's also like pretty much as tall as arnie is very funny because he's trying to still act like he's in control and all of that it's just like you know if they were in any other situation arnie would just rip your head off right now yeah it's like oh yeah, dude and, are, and, wait are you a badass you know it's like yeah, yeah. you're you're a, a toddler <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he he gets that he gets that great line with him too. He's like, "You're a funny guy. I'm gonna kill you last," kill you last. <laughs> yeah. which is just a, a, a great little moment. But then they they are immediately already throwing him on this plane, being like, "Okay, so you are going to be um, flown into the Central American country, and you are going to destroy the government by yourself." And then we'll give you your daughter back. And if you don't do this, we're going to mail her back to you in pieces is what they say to him. And then my favorite part of this is because he is just such a the character himself is such like a blunt asshole of a thinker in a way. <laughs> he just goes, well, my daughter's dead. 
Like if I do this, they're yeah. going to kill her anyway. So might as well yep. just say fuck their plan and try and figure out my own way out of this. And like he's already on the plane and scoping it out before it takes off being like, okay, how do I kill this guy right beside me? He's getting a blanket and a pillow snaps his neck, makes <laughs> him look like he's sleeping. And he's then he's getting, tired. he's dead tired. Yeah. <laughs> And then he makes his way through the innards of the plane and jumps off through the section where the <laughs> hole is open, where the wheels, the landing wheels are supposed to come out and jumps into a marsh, which is a great stunt. Arnold probably didn't do really it, but great kudos stunt. to the stunt guy. Yeah, I got yeah, to say also, the shot shout out. on the wheel I thought was pretty cool. Like, I don't know how they yeah. shot it cool. exactly and how fast they were going, but it looked pretty authentic. So it was uh, it was a cool stunt. Yeah. Yeah. And shout out pre 9-11 America, dude. Because he is on that plane and he is walking through it like it's an open house. You know, he's just like unsupervised walking around. Like if like I got I was on a Delta flight the other day. My mask fell off when I was asleep and I thought the stewardess was going to hit me. You know what I mean? But back then, you could just hang the hell out. It's so funny to see stuff like that. He has a moment where he like he gets up and and the the stewardess is basically just like you need to go sit down and he just goes no i have to pee and then that's it like, he, he doesn't and then for, like he it barely looks like he's being inconspicuous at all but he just kind of looks to the right and left and then gets full access to like the uh the, the storage unit and the wheel yeah where the landing gear is yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god it's so funny. could have dismantled the plane right from there yeah oh yeah um, <laughs> And then they have like a, a German man like running across the field and like no one's shooting him down or anything. And, yeah. <laughs> and I love his run, too, because he's just so huge that he actually does kind of have like a it, it doesn't I don't know what it is. I don't think he's used to running, but he has kind of a flimsy run, which I just thought was funny for Arnold because he's just such a giant muscular man. It's um, better so, than the Steven Seagal run, I oh, will say. Oh, Steven man. Seagal run, that oh. man has spaghetti arms. That's the funniest <laughs> shit ever, yeah. I would love to see those two go on a, like a 100-meter sprint together. I think that'd yes. be hilarious. Um, I think Arnold would win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. I mean, especially now. Uh, Steven Seagal doesn't even stand up during his action scenes in the current movies <laughs> that he shoots right now. Yeah, exactly. And I also like the little detail that they um, he knows that it's going to take an 11 hours for the plane to land for them to figure Which, out. Which, by the way, thing. by the way, Will, maybe you can clarify this for me. What Central American country is an 11-hour flight from Los Angeles? <laughs> Buddy, I, if you gave me a globe right now and you told me to which direction is central america from los angeles <laughs> i'm not finding it okay i have i have i have no idea but i was just I, i've like, i've, sure. I've never made that kind of flight but an 11 hour flight sounds like a europe flight to me and i'm, I'm like that <laughs> you want to know that the, the stupid the stupid connection i made that made that okay in my mind i was Let's like go. yeah that the, the airplane ride in inception was like 20 hours <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Look, they said they, they, the, the, the character <laughs> said it was 11 hours, so it was 11 hours. He said to yeah. watch for 11 hours. Exactly. Yeah, I heard her um, a second ago. She told me that. That's how I know. <laughs> And I don't even know how well they like deal with the time frame really too. like how I don't even think it was necessary. I, yeah, it, it yeah. wasn't. But it, it I think they're just trying to show his like precise mind right at, at work. He's just he, he's got it all to a to a T and it's timed well, out and he's. 
you know. Yeah, and I was going to say, I think Mark L. Lester just also isn't, once again, like, he's not someone like Davis who does, like, (laughs) real-time suspense sequencing. So I think it's literally just in there for them to be like, here's suspense. He's got a time frame to do this. And the time frame might not actually matter or, you know, be amplified by the film in any way. But uh, now you know as an audience member. I think he's just trying to throw that in there for you. Yeah, they literally could just have the, like, they, they do go back to it, but it's never in any important thing. It's just basically like, oh, it's 11. All right, now it's five hours. All right, now it's two hours. It's it's never really built for any like super suspenseful moments, except for just the fact you know he has to get to his daughter. He has he has to make his way to the island where the dictator is and where uh, Vernon Wells is, and uh, before the plane lands and they go, holy shit, his guard is is dead. And also yeah. he has to yeah. eliminate David Patrick Kelly too, because David Patrick Kelly uh, knows that he didn't. Um, get on the plane because he was uh, following him around, watching him harass uh, one of the stewardess who works at the airport named Cindy, played by um, Radon Chong. Oh, right. right. Um, and he just pretty much forces her to get into this situation. <laughs> yeah, rips yeah, her courtesy out of her car and he's like, let's <laughs> rock and roll. Which I was still trying to figure out. I was like, why? Like, he, I guess he wanted man. to get lower in the seat. Yeah, but I guess then so when we they could, like, start tailing. But when they start tailing him, he looks like he's just sitting in a normal seat again. Like when they're yeah, actually riding upright, on the highway. Like, like a dog yeah. in like a motorcycle side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it felt like it felt like they weren't sure if the joke was he was too big for the seat or if they just <laughs> wanted to show him his like raw strength and just rip out the seat. Like it, it felt it's just awesome. So let's do it. <laughs> Yeah, showing yeah. his raw strength definitely is a compelling one for me because they yeah. do it a couple times in the film, like that great um, oh, the telephone mall booth? sequence. Oh, where a yes. fireman carries the telephone booth and then <laughs> like the WWE slams it down with the guy in it. Yeah, WWE slams it down. It. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, it's crazy. It is um, wild. Watching him just like rip a telephone booth out out of the ground with a dude in it and try to like <laughs> chuck it at somebody. <laughs> oh, it's truly and unbelievable. Yeah. Those are some of like the, the physically absurd things that really work for you because the, those are the moments that I found myself more shocked even than some of the, the hyper violence that, oh, that, that appears in the film is where just like, like the stunt where even though you can tell it's the stunt double, like when he's just Tarzaning across the mall using a balloon to hit the top of the glass mall elevator that for whatever reason was in like every eighties movie. I always think of Brian De Palma's body double. Anytime I think oh, of yeah. uh, someone yeah, riding yeah, one of those everywhere. mall elevators. <laughs> crazy but it's i will also, i think almost it's a credit to because you were kind of making the point about you know the best arnold movies are the guys who know how to use him completely mm-hmm. and fully and i do think there's shades of it in this because there are so many yeah. sequences where they get away with these things strictly because it's arnold if you put like sly or bruce willis or any of the, anybody of the other big stars in this yeah, none of that shit flies <laughs> yeah and so they really do like on i think they do have like a grasp like maybe not a great one, maybe, you know, with, with Vaseline on their hands, but they do have a grasp <laughs> of like, we can do this because it's Arnold, which I think, yeah, I think garners him a bit of credit in my mind. Yeah, no, definitely. definitely. Like there, there, there is sort of like cartoon 
elements in this that they could only get away with because that they have Arnold in the film, even if it's not like using that image in the same way, I guess, as like a, a Cameron or a McTiernan would try to like build it in, I guess, into like the subtext of the film or something. This is kind of like a, a character free subtext free kind of film. But yes. Arnold is definitely the thing that is making it work. Um, if yeah. something is making it work like this could very easily the same screenplay could have starred a different actor and it just would have been incredibly generic. But the mm-hmm. fact that they can go as excessive like this defines like 80s Reagan era action movie excess to me. Yeah. Um, and Arnold exemplifies that or at least merges with it really, really well. And and again, it just keeps moving from set piece to set piece so fast you don't even have time you're like yeah whatever I, he can do that you know um yeah you have you, you no. have to or you're gonna drown you know what i mean yeah. if you think for a second you're dead you're dead yep that, that that's the thing yeah and and, and I, I do think that on some level the movie you know i don't know i wouldn't go as far as to say it's doing like last action hero levels of doing this but i do no. think that on some level they do know that they are doing ridiculous things to the point where they are almost you know satirizing yeah. these kinds yeah. of movies i mean they, they, they literally scene. include cindy in there to like yeah, provide yeah. commentary on she's what like she's what is it with this macho bullshit and she yeah she has right. kind of like it's almost like the first shades of like those like the deadpool kind of like self-aware stuff you know exactly. that, that ended up like, being like the death of action movies it was almost like this is almost like uh patient zero for that kind of shit I also find that interesting because we had the same thought um, with uh, Class of 1984, where we were kind of like, is this a parody? Is this authentic? Is this <laughs> right. being sincere? And I don't know. There's something about Mark Lester that I it's like he's he's batting for both camps. <laughs> and I don't he know. walks that line yeah. where he like sincerely indulges in some of the things that he's shooting. And then in other times he plays them over the top to kind of be, feel like he's in on the joke in some ways. Yeah. But he never does it enough that I'm fully convinced he, like that he's doing <laughs> one or the other. And I, and I kind of like that. Um, it leads me to, to sit in a very strange place and I don't always know how to read his films, but um, it's, it's interesting and, and I, and I like it. Yeah, definitely um, in engaging. And I mean, like, this is a movie that has him, um, you know, even like satirizing some of his own lines. He repeats the I'll be back. Right. The, fuck you, asshole. Fuck you, asshole. Um, I like when he just he, says, let's party. <laughs> yeah. my, my, my favorite part is when they get to the, the, the military, like, supply warehouse thing. And he starts, like, uh, looking at the, the map. And he starts being like, okay, longitude <laughs> this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> gets the protractor out. Yeah. Yeah, and no, yeah, not the in mad. the warehouse, <laughs> in the in the AK forty seven strip mall. That is oh, just like yeah, in the right, middle of right. fucking wherever they are. It's so, <laughs> and there's just a, a gun room like in Boondock Saints. If you press, it's just like this needs yeah, to be here, or else the movie stops. Yeah, because that's the that's after the big car chase with David Patrick Kelly, where they try to like ram him off the road, and then yeah. he says, uh, "You said you were going to kill me last." He's like, "I lied," and like throws him off a mountain, <laughs> and oh. then his his he Gravity. directly drives his car into a telephone pole with both so, of them in it, and you're so it's fast. so that's a strategy. They're doing seventy, eighty <laughs> miles an hour. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just when you see a deer, you got that's speed the fastest up. way to stop a car. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, it's just efficiency right? if you think about it. You exactly. know? Yeah, without a second hesitation, he yeah slams in through an eighty of his telephone pole, and he's like, 
hey, how are you, uh, Cindy? You know, like without even like acknowledging that he just did that. He's like, let's yeah. let's, keep, let's keep this party going. Speaking of uh, like just the way he uses what? his physical force, he also starts the seaplane just by hitting it and says works every time. <laughs> like he just he's yeah. a constant force of nature that that. But for him, it works like it's always a positive outcome. <laughs> and I, yes. yeah, that's great. Well, yeah, dude. And, and there's a part there where his car gets fucked up and he killed David Patrick Kelly and they go, well, now what do we do? And they were like, well, let's use his car. He literally flips the car over with his bare hands. <laughs> yes. The one that he knocked David Patrick Kelly that. out of. Yeah. Oh my God. And then they're like, there we go. We got a car again. Let's go. Let's, <laughs> let's keep this. Like the second this movie goes, okay, logically we need to stop here for a second because we've done something insane. Arnold just right. goes, no, I can flip it over. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Yeah, he's like, no, I'm like the car. strongest guy in the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mr. Universe. And then he's got to stop. And then he's breaking into like a sporting and surplus store to get like the grenades and the guns and the vest and the ammo and everything that he's going to end up using in the final sequence. But my favorite part of this is that he gets busted for breaking and entering. (laughs) And then Cindy has to roll up beside the cop van with the rocket launcher and accidentally fires one in the wrong direction at a phone booth. This movie just hates phone booths. That's what I became convinced with. Yeah, and I like her reaction is pretty adorable. She's just like, oh, shoot, my bad kind of thing. Like, yeah. she, what was she saying? Oh, my God. And because it's just, just when you think that this movie thought. is going to, again, slow down for a second, you're like, okay, he's been busted. He's going to have to sit in the overnight jail for a little yeah. while. We're going to have a, a slow scene where he's going to mm-hmm. talk about his backstory or something. They're like, no, 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 no. The, the stewardess is going to whip out the rocket launcher yeah <laughs> and, and absolutely like just like perfect shot right into the wheel yeah, where it won't hurt arnold just like a, a half court swish it's great yeah because like imagine if she hit any other spot that plan probably wouldn't have uh, worked out so yeah, well arnold's like, dead. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if she hit like the back window that was it for arnie <laughs> uh it's a it's a great moment and what a strategy <laughs> Yeah, and then she ends up getting him out of that. They commandeer like a seaplane from a marina. Um, that that you know she's a stewardess, but she's also a pilot. So right, they were like, mean? yeah, whatever, fly it. I'll just smack it. It'll work. We'll get chased down. Yeah, I mean, Arnold's <laughs> like oozing people down while they're trying to get the seaplane working so that they can fly out. Uh, Bill Paxton is briefly Bill in this Paxton. as the intercept oh, officer, yeah. who's telling them to change their course. Like, what are you guys fucking doing? Yeah. Um, and this all leads to the big final action set piece. They take the set, the seaplane to the island. And this is, I think, what the movie is probably well most well known for, for a 20 minute long <laughs> set piece of Arnold going full on one man army commando mode. Monkey from the mode, title. ape shit, all yeah. over ape everybody. Shit, monkey mode. Oh, yeah. Right. He's barely on, even on hiding just, behind trees and bushes and yeah. shit. <laughs> He's not even taking cover. <laughs> no, there is no, like, like Seagal in Under Siege we'll get to, he has a moment where he kind of goes Metal Gear mode for a little while. Yes. Arnold is the opposite of that. Arnold is yeah. like, no, 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 they got my little girl, and they're in there talking about how, they make, they make them cartoonishly evil, like, yeah. slitting little girls' throats is like slicing warm butter. <laughs> <laughs> That's, what one of those That's a great line. um and he breaks onto this island i mean i love that full speedo in In a a speedo in a rowboat (laughs) in a rowboat and he is just like i mean looking like a they do like you know they give they they know what they're doing they give him like 14 different angles of full body shots 
they have Cindy like like lusting after him, and then yep. yeah, he just pe- and, he, and he and he rows away, and then he gets onto the beach, and he has this absolute rock and roll loading up on gun sequence, which I oh, just iconic, iconic. Oh. Like the it's like a shot of the grenades, shot of the knife, oh. the shells, the vest, the cartridge, putting on oh. the paint, you know that yeah. kind of oh. thing. Perfect. They they literally would re- reuse those uh, jokingly in the Joel Schumacher Batman films where they're loading up all of their gear, <laughs> but it's like a shot of their butts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's the same. It's the same deal here. And I love. And, I gotta say, I love though that final shot that they give him, where it's just like the, his whole upper torso, and he's holding the biggest machine gun you've ever fucking seen in your life. <laughs> and in the other hand is just a four uh, a four slotted <laughs> rocket launcher. <laughs> like it's just, yeah. it is insane. Sanity. No, he's he's literally an R-rated action figure toy in that moment, which I thought was incredibly funny because they did actually try to release a line of action figures to, um, I think it was Diamond Toy Makers here I'm reading, in 1986 attempted to cash in on the film and they basically tried to release an entire line based on this that resembled the G.I. Joe action figures. Awesome. They had many of the characters who appeared uh, in the film, but obviously the biggest one was that John Matrix was there, an 18 inch figure that had the pistol, the M16, and oh. the grenade and the vest and everything. <laughs> I so tell that you might what, be out there I for any pay, crazy collectors. Yeah. I would pay a large sum of money for a Bennett action figure. I tell you what, oh my gosh, dude. That is killer. And this last 20 minutes is him infiltrating this island villa fortress. It's basically like the finale from Scarface, but like if, you know, like a G.I. Joe kind of character was the one who was doing it. And it is just insane. It is one of the most unhinged, sustained action set pieces of the 80s. (laughs) He puts at the very minimum, he has to put like 80 people on screen in yeah. the ground. Oh, yeah. He's yes. gutting them, slitting their throats, throwing the knives bodies. into their chests, gunning them down. You know, huge explosions uh, going off everywhere. He's rocket launching cars. One of it my really f- is just like a pure ownage for this 15 to 20 straight minutes. The <laughs> best analogy f- I could think of. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, you go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, the best analogy I could think of for it was like, it's like watching somebody play uh, like Gears of War on like beginner mode. You know what I mean? Where he's just <laughs> like so easy. not taking yeah. cover, firing from the hip. People are just like <laughs> running up to him and dying, you know? That's exactly what it's like. That's, yeah, that's 100% accurate. That's so funny. Um, the, uh, oh, the, the one that I was going to mention was when it gets to like these really close up violent moments when he's in the, uh, the shed and he throws the saw blades and it actually skins one guy, like it scalps a guy, uh, one (laughs) guy gets it right in the neck and there's actually, I think a little bit of blood splurt. And then, and then one dude straight up gets his arm completely chopped off with a machete and they do the full you know the the full yeah. limb removal and, and yeah, everything. suddenly a slasher movie out of nowhere for like 30 <laughs> seconds yeah and then it just goes back to gunning down like 80 people in the in the field so it, it's it's crazy it does have a lot of uh sudden moments of of even over the top violence that you haven't seen in any other part of the movie it just kind of suddenly happens and it was it was pretty shocking <laughs> 
Yeah, well, and what's disappointing is that this is the stuff that was cut for the theatrical because the mm. the, the director's cut of this film uh, is very funny because this is the <laughs> era which we all have to thank God for. This is the era where even the director's extended cut of a movie was like 91 minutes right. uh, oh, in the case of minutes. this movie. And the two extra minutes was literally just the gore. Right, um, it's just violence. It was nothing, <laughs> it was nothing but the, the gore shots and the insert shots of like, you know, just pure bodily destruction. This character's also, vomiting blood. <laughs> yeah, pitchforks going through chests. Um, yeah. You know, and and I, I do think that even though I don't know that Lester has the most, you know, uh, again, sort of intelligent construction of action sequencing, there is a certain level of poetry to just the idea of... You know, you have this intense close-up of Arnold's bicep glistening, <laughs> covered in dirt and blood, bullet cases vibrating out of the machine gun that he's firing, and you just have, like, a slow-mo shot of this, and then cut to just random, insanely gory insert shots of bodies getting fucked up and falling off <sighs> of roofs. Yeah. And, you know, it's it, it, it is, at a certain point, absurd how long and how huge... Um, the, you know, the actual sequence uh, is like chests are exploding, legs exploding. He has like gymnasts being hit, uh, going off of jump pads to show like the grenades going off on the grass. Like people yeah. are flying across the flicks. various frames. Yeah, sometimes it cuts to a different shot and you'll see the same guy like falling from the previous shot. Like it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah. nuts. If you're not careful during this, you could like zone out during this yes like, i remember i watched it last night and like as I, the guy's arm got chopped off and i was like was i not paying attention to that <laughs> like that's how just like that's how relentless it is yeah yeah you almost forget like yeah. because there's so much violence that I, I think yeah maybe that's what i was like when i said it happens it so is suddenly, numbing it's, a little yeah, bit <laughs> it numbs you so when that like saw moment happens you just like jolt back into consciousness like holy yeah. shit <laughs> Well, I mean, especially during the the final sort of like one on one fight that he has with Bennett, because the dictator he takes out super easily. He just like shotguns that dude. He flies through the window. They're like, yeah, yeah. whatever. Fuck that guy. No one <laughs> even cared about that guy. Let's get to Bennett because uh, Bennett's fucking crazy. Yeah. And I love that the way that he gets involved with Bennett is that Bennett is in the basement with his kid and, you know, he shoots him in the arm. And uh, he goes, how's your arm, John? He's like, come here and find out. He's like, no, thanks. No, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) And and what he does, he immediately starts just like taunting him with what he's calling like a party fight. He's like, you know, let's get some pleasure going. He's trying to activate his psycho killer madman by making him like horny for the violence. He's like, God, we could have such a sick fight if you weren't a bitch dude yeah <laughs> he's like he's like you know you want to look into my eyes as you put the knife in and twist it or something like that it's, it's oh wow yeah that is so horny yeah, yeah i never that didn't connect until you mentioned that earlier josh that like it yeah. was like oh wow man my man bennett was fucking fired up for that one <laughs> yeah he, he's like you want to shove a knife into me and see my eyes go out don't you right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah oh fuck yeah, it's very yeah. weirdly homoerotic in that moment yeah and then yeah it's um, very funny to like be in like back in my mind when i saw it for the first time when i was like 13 
and like this very <laughs> obvious homosexual like subtext and i was just like man these dudes freaking hate each other dude <laughs> <laughs> but they also really want to touch each other like it's, yeah. there's something interesting going on there um and yeah, so they get into a fight. It's the most ridiculous fight because, again, as Will already laid out, I think, pretty effectively, like, this is the most absurdly huge cut man you've ever seen in your life yeah. and, like, a random, schlubby, flamboyant Australian man with a porno stash. <laughs> and and he's, chainmail. like, Vernon Wells and is, like, taunting him. He's like, you're getting old, John. And, sh- and I'm like, what? How are you saying that to this <laughs> yeah. man? Like, no, and kill him right, right now, dude. He is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah and, and it's literally them like grunting in this background of metal and fire and electrocuting each other, slicing each other with the knives that are like punching each other in the ribs and the faces. I do really uh, they like also, the uh, the actual slice shots that you get with Arnie's like shirtless body, like the the fact that they actually cut up his oh, yeah. body, I thought was pretty cool. Those are great. Yeah, that. like I remember like you can like get, you're kind of wincing during those. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, they are definitely trying to convince you that this guy could hurt this physical specimen right, in front of right. you. Um, even, and, and they were like, yeah, we got to find some ways to like get, get that going. Um, <laughs> and there's a great um, edited sequence by Goldblatt, too, where there's a part where Arnie is supposed to be kind of like turning the tables on, on him at one point because he's getting fucked up somehow. And there's a part where he makes it look like he punches Vernon Wells like 10 times in like four seconds <laughs> by just like cutting like 10 different punches like all together <laughs> and he responds by going uh what is it i'm i'm not gonna shoot you between the eyes i'm gonna like shoot your balls off i'm gonna shoot something. you in the <laughs> balls yeah yeah i can't remember like it, yeah i'm not going to shoot you between the eyes i'm gonna shoot you between the balls is <laughs> what he says to <laughs> again just they can't stop the homoerotic elements yeah. he just really wants to get over to his balls. I can't um, believe I was like, yeah, just two, two guys being pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> That's all this is. That's all this and is, then baby. Arnold gets one of his many, many iconic oh. one-liners in this moment because the big climactic conclusion is him ripping a steam pipe out of the wall, throwing it at vernon wells who's pulled out a gun and obviously who has betrayed the rules of engagement because they were just going to beat the shit out of each other because they were horny for punching each other (laughs) and because he does that he throws this pipe at him which impales him and there's this incredible close-up image of it having impaled him and then dollying away from it so that you can actually see how long the pipe is that's inside of his chest as the steam starts coming through it (laughs) and rapidly too like it's just bursting out it's an awesome shot right and and what does he say he says you he says bennett you need to let off some steam (laughs) that's got to be one of the most 80s lines ever like oh if that doesn't get you out of your seat then you're you have i can't help you because that's just like yeah just ending and so perfect yeah and then it 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 replicates the ending of predator (laughs) for some reason which is predator actually came after so i guess predator replicated the ending of this in a little bit more darkness (laughs) but the ending of this is it's so funny watching those two different endings because when he leaves predator there is we talked about it when we covered that film there is like this element of like you know, the army's evacuating. 
evacuating him, but he's filled with like confusion and regret and the Mm -hmm. images of all of his dead friends who have been massacred at the hands of this, you know, this violent force that he'll never comprehend. And it's obviously meant to kind of, you know, uh, replicate the experience of him as sort of a colonial force going into another country and just massacring like the crazy eighties action set piece of the opening of that. And having those, badass American might kind of characters experience that back at them and just be left feeling kind of like, you know, confused and sad about that. Whereas this, he le- he gets evacuated and they literally ask him, you know, did you leave anything for us? And he says, just bodies. <laughs> and <laughs> so and he says it while like take holding his daughter and his daughter, by the way, is there to watch him impale that man with the steam pipe. Oh, yeah, and then she he's like the whole knife fight. <laughs> yeah. And she's ear to ear. Like, she looks like, like she's going to Disneyland. Oh, she's, yeah, he's like, she's I, like, get him daddy. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's like, man, I, I didn't even see you there. Hi, Jenny. Like, hey. Oh my God. It's like, you know, we're a happy family now. Now here's your new mom. <laughs> uh, she's a stewardess trying to be a pilot we're taking off in the seaplane. Uh, and, yeah, you know, uh, I, I kidnapped her. She blew up some cops. She's probably wanted. Um, but we're going to fly off into the sunset. <laughs> yeah, he has, like, no paperwork time. to fill out. He just gets to go home. Yeah, it's, nothing. It's, it's just, good. like, the general comes up. He's like, dude, you're a beast. And Arm's like, I know. <laughs> I and know, then, right? Dang, roll credits. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, roll you totally credits at, like, exactly, like, uh, like, an hour 27 or 28 or something like that. And I'm like chef kiss that's the moment yes. right there wow. that's what that's what movies need to be but yeah and then just the <laughs> classic like uh you know you can't you can't put the man back in in, in on the mission where he's uh what does he say he goes uh they set up some possible sequels yeah they, they uh <laughs> oh yeah this was the last time until the next time no chance and then yeah just, that's it that's the last line it's so it's so funny and he looks like you know much when they the wrote camera. that yeah when they wrote that they're like 500 mil at the box office, not a problem. You know, <laughs> yeah. you could tell yeah. they're like, this is a, this is going to fucking absolutely crush. And it's a shame <laughs> that it didn't. Well, I'm seeing yeah. on the, uh, it did make like, it, it, it was did, a budget of it, it money, for sure. 57 million. So it did make money. I'm, I, was it yeah. more so the Arnie that didn't want to do the sequel? Is that what we discussed earlier? I can't remember. Arnold, Arnold was skeptical about doing a sequel. And also for Arnold, um, you know, like uh, fifty million is not like the two hundred million he was yeah, making on a lot of yeah. his other ones. Especially right? after so. the Terminator, I imagine he was like, "I want that to be what I focus on." Just in that same yeah. realm. Um, but I think pivoting towards productive rating round on uh, Commando, which for you wills, we remove all the words, all the nuance, uh, and reduce the movie to a number between one and five. But it's also become kind of like final statements or any scenes or quotes we might not have hit that you wanted to hit before we before we leave. And normally I go first, but I might let other people go first today because I'm kind of struggling on my rating for this one. Jamie, do you want to go first? Man, here? I am too. Uh, I'll go first because I will go boy, first. Oh boy, do I know mine. I genuinely... <laughs> I gen- like from the very pit of my soul give this movie five out of five. I Amazing. love it. It's so it's so confident. It, it it does it never blinks. It has this we we talked about it earlier. It has this just stellar Jamaican steel drum score that happens throughout the entire movie. Yeah. It just if you're like a dumb guy, it, it's just like it, it it's it's really this is like a dumb guy's like this is my like apocalypse now you know what i mean i'm like this is just <laughs> yeah. like i'm like this Absolutely. is fucking everything man you know what i mean so i do genuinely from the bottom of my soul give this a five out of five 
Nice, nice. I, hell, you know what? Yeah. I, I, this is the thing. I watched it. Um, I actually ended up watching it twice because I had that that feeling where I was just like, I, "There's something, there's something here," and I, I feel like I didn't grasp it again when I when I rewatched it the second time. Um, so I ended up watching it again uh, yesterday, and uh, and I just find myself every time he now turns to the camera, says the no chance line, and he goes up on the seaplane. I just want to like restart it again like and and with all of its all of its faults um and there there are some that i find you know troublesome in my enjoyment here and there um it's it's that thing that we were discussing where it's like it it just doesn't let you think about those things at least for more than a second and then you're just on to the next ridiculous thing so you you find it to be more uh forgivable in that in that sense um and mm. I, th- I, yeah, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to give it the light four. I really do. I, and I, think, I do think that it could even get like, I, I could love this the more I watch it. There's just something about it. Um, it, it just, I think it's, it's nonstop nature. It's just, there's, we, we often say that there's zero fat on a film when it's in the 95 mark, the action and it's an action movie like this, but this truly, I think is like the epitome of that. There, there is every moment is built to forget about the last and just keep moving forward. Um, and having Arnie do his one-liners, of course, is so much fun. He, he and, and the script is written for that because every single line he has is basically some quip or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, despite some of the faults, I, I think I've, I've got to say I, I, it deserves, for me anyway, uh, a little more than, than a three. So I, I think I'm going to give it a four. So yeah, I think I'm feeling the same. I think I'm, I think I'm feeling the same. I think I've been, but that's just it. This movie has always had this problem with me. The first time I watched it, it was the very, very high three. And the only thing holding me back was I did think that there, there was a lot of really, really generic, writing to it which yeah. is not always an issue with an Arnold movie like I don't think Raw Deal is the most exceptionally written film either <laughs> but I do think that being that generic now. and being as stripped down as this is basically did mean that in the larger Arnold filmography this is more character free and subtext free than even you know like some of Arnold's you know lesser <laughs> known entries yeah. um, you know so it, it doesn't have those moments like Raw Deal where you can see him trying to act and see him trying to you know uh, have these weird sort of character interactions because the movie moves so fast. He doesn't even get time to have those slow beats where he tries to give you a backstory or he tries to have emotion or, you know, and it's also, you know, as we've discussed, like not as really well crafted, like it's, it's perfectly fine, but it's not as well crafted as, you know, his masterpieces, things like Terminator or Predator or Total Recall. uh, Another example, you know, like those are like next level genius filmmakers knowing how to use his image and actually kind of really get in and say something with that. And But I almost, when you like, watch you this like film, I go, why am anything? I blaming this film for not saying anything? Like, it's not like, yeah. I don't know. It's really not what the film is trying to do. I think it really is meant to be a cable classic to be consumed with a cold one with your dad maniacally laughing beside <laughs> you um, at every, you know, dumb impulse that it indulges in. Um, and yeah, so I think the fact that, you know, complaining that you, well, you know, it doesn't have the imperial horror and existentialism, <laughs> of, you know, like predator, like it feels fucking dorky to say that. Yeah. Um, even though it's how I feel when I watch the film, Definitely. but I don't know, it, it, it's weird. It's, it's how I feel thinking about the film afterward, but I, that's not on my mind when I'm actually watching the film. Yeah, so I'm going to give, give it ride. the light for, mm-hmm. 
um, for me as well, which is going to be my experience of actually watching this movie um, and yeah. the way that it moves, how cartoonishly macho it is. Uh, these guys eat too much red meat was a line. I don't remember if we said that or not. <laughs> yeah, um, no, she says it during like the fight to the death that she's watching. Yeah, with Bill Duke, yeah. which we, with actually, Billy we, which D, we yes. forgot to mention, where, where so they're literally he, he's throwing Bill Duke through like motel room walls, where on the opposite side of the wall, people are filming themselves having sex. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, like crazy. And so there is like a, a sense of humor and, a you know, there is a quality to it where it is more knowing than I think sometimes I give it credit for. Which when I, I think actually, is where Lester comes um, into play personally. Yeah. Because he, he's done that with his other uh, couple movies that we've watched, too. And I just feel like that's something he seems to have on his mind. I was never sure, but it seems to be the case. Like there's also that speaking of the girl, there's also that part in the car where she's freaking out about what's all happened. And she's literally just reiterating the entire movie that we've seen so far and just going like, isn't this ridiculous? Isn't this fucking insane? Um, yeah. And, and Arnie just responds with a like, whatever, we're just going to keep moving. And it, 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 that itself kind of feels like a commentary on the movie itself. So I don't know. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? I think if this had been my my introduction to Arnold, I'd have even more affection for it. But yeah. I basically saw this after I saw all of his really heavy hitters. Me first, too. I didn't watch this for the first time until like two or three years ago. And so when I originally watched it, I was like, "Yeah, it's 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 entertaining." I see why this might have been a really big deal when it came out. And you know, but despite the tacky one-liners and the thinnest characterizations you've ever seen, and <laughs> some performances honestly that are barely there, um, <laughs> the action is so huge, so explosive, and. He even if it's not, you know, expertly designed or choreographed, it really does still just pummel you with the sheer uh, maximalism of it and how much of it there is. And it does feel yeah. like on some level, despite the fact that it's indulging it, it is kind of taking a little bit of the piss out of that 80s action excess while um, doing it. And uh, we did mention, by the way, the the pulsating James Horner synth score, by the way, I don't remember if mm. we got to it or not. Sick. Yeah. The strange, oh. like, xylophone sounds on it. The huge drums and oh. screeching guitar riffs and saxophones, like, front to back over every, you know, nonstop insane set piece that Mark Goldblatt, you know, really, really cut for just maximum, um, you know, nonsensical impact front to back. So, yeah, I feel like it's got to get the light for it. Nice. Oh, yeah. That, I love it. <laughs> yeah, so I think that, and, and once again, uh, once again, the purest, again, the purest Arnold film. If yes, I was yeah. to be trying to describe an Arnold film to someone if I, if, who had never heard of Arnold before, this would probably be the movie that I would show them. I would say, if you want to see more, this is, you know, where you start branch off from here. I feel yeah. like that's the best way to probably enjoy um, totally. this movie. And I feel like I got to give a little bit of credit to the movie that feels like the uh, complete uh, Arnold package, even if it doesn't have, you know, uh, some of the richest uh, themes and feelings to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, But that being said, I think that will wrap it up for Commando. We went a little long there. Uh, So we are going to be right back and we are going to be talking about the opposite side of the action star spectrum a little bit uh, (laughs) with one Steven Seagal. Expert in martial arts. Explosives. Stand back! Weapons and tactics. I also cook. The Nimitz is tracking two tomahawks just launched from the Missouri. Where are they headed? Honolulu. Happy trails. Steven Seagal. I know you, don't I? Tommy Lee Jones. Been a long time. I'll see you in hell, Santa Boy! 
under siege. Oh man, do you know what? I forgot one of the commando lines. Uh, oh, yeah. The uh, attention, all units, emergency on theater level. Suspect is six foot two, brown hair. Oh. He's one gigantic <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> and the dude just absolutely gives it his all with that line. Yeah, dude. Oh. Incredible. Uh, so but hey, welcome back. All right, we are talking under. Siege, the oh, yes. 1992 American action thriller film directed by one Andrew Davis. Three star king, baby. Uh, three Ooh. star king. He uh, kind of undefeated in that in that department. Because Will, you might not be familiar, but we we have coined a term in our in our with our Discord patrons um, about those three star cable classics, and they are specifically. You know, not just a film that's three stars. Some people, the, the rookies yeah. mistake this. It's not just a film that you're like, yeah, it's pretty good. No, no, no. It's it's very specifically a film that, you know, you've missed 15 minutes of it. You know, the first 15 yep. minutes, maybe it's on TV. Your buddy's next to you. And you just get, you're like, Do you know what? This is a good movie. I'm going to keep watching this. And you're like, I'm going to watch a scene because this is pretty cool. And then you just watch the movie. Um, and next yeah. thing you know, you're four beers deep and you're like, well, this has been wonderful. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 you can't in good conscience be like, well, that's not as good as the four star bangers that I love. But man, that it that definitely is exceptional in it's its own way. It's just a sturdy ride. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Front to back. And Andrew Davis is the king of these movies because we've talked about him once. He did the he actually did the the Steven Seagal debut film Above the Law. Oh yeah, which we've covered Ooh. on this show. Um, he also in the '90s tried to get into um, the erotic thriller game at one point with one of the more kind of underrated ones called uh, A Perfect Murder from 1998 Ooh. with uh, Michael Douglas, Gwyneth Paltrow, Viggo Mortensen in that one. And it's worth a watch. Uh, I think they kind of fuck up the ending, but it sounds like there mm. was an original ending that they had that would have been sick and people would probably talk about it more if they had kept it. But Davis also very famously did the, the ultimate dad cable classic of all time, <laughs> the fugitive Harrison Ford. Ooh. Yeah. I How many times have dad sat in front of the couch watching that film? Okay. Millions of hours spent. Oh yeah, and it's a, that I movie is the is the sore cause of all of our dad's lower back problems. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think the fugitive um, or this movie was how Andrew Davis got hired for the fugitive because Harrison Ford saw like a rough cut of this and thought that his work was I guess uh, competent <laughs> enough. As well as I think the person who told Harrison Ford was Tommy Lee Jones, who was actually oh. in this film even oh. right, and was also was also in The Fugitive. So, yes, um, very interesting approach, I think, because we we've kind of worked our way to the biggest Seagal film. Yeah, this is, I think, the biggest yeah. box office uh, hit that he ever had. And critical and he basically, acclaim, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. I think I read that it was the most financially successful film that was not pre-screened for critics. Yeah, um, yeah, I saw nominated that for an Academy Award. <laughs> yeah, for the, for, the, for the visual effects and for the sound, because there's nothing more that That's the incredible. Academy loves to do than nominating the loudest movie um, yeah. in any given year for the best sound. Um, <laughs> this is another example of them doing that. Hopefully they'll do it again this year with Dune. Which yes. was absolutely the loudest movie that I saw. Rope this year. singing, baby. Um, but yeah, so we've cut. We've covered Seagal a bunch of times. We've covered his debut um, above the law. We've covered Hard to Kill, Out for Justice, On Deadly Ground. Will, what is your relationship to 
Steven Seagal. What was like the first one that you saw? Maybe this was the first one I saw. This was the first this was one. The first, oh, nice. This was the first one I saw for a long time. And then Interesting. within the last few years, I kind of made the rounds with like some like on deadly ground and, and hard to kill. Like I kind of made the rounds with all of his like other bangers. And I'll take it, you to the bank. The blood <laughs> bank. Blood bank. <laughs> so sick. Classic. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and um, it kind of, it almost put this in another, and through, it made me think of this movie through a different lens. Because after watching all those other ones, the tragedy of Seagal is that he is so good when he's like with other big people that they can bounce off of his serious thing. Cause Tommy Lee Jones mm. and Gary Busey are bawling out in this. Like yeah. they, they have yeah. zero misses swish every single time. <laughs> and the only way to like have like a ton of fun with Seagal is if you have just like somebody deranged bouncing off of him. Yeah. And I think like, you know, the more into his you know own shit that he got, he was less willing to be like star one A or one B or one C, like he kind of mm, was in this. That, it kind of, you know, the star of the film kind of moved around, much to just I think like, like the detriment of his career. Yeah, that was our big uh, thing with Josh. What was the movie with? Um, oh, he's one of yeah, with Forsyth. Yeah, um, uh, Out for Justice. This out is another for Justice. Huge issue with that film, even though we yeah. love that film. That's probably, honestly, still probably my second favorite Seagal film that yeah, I've seen too. just because that was directed by the Rolling Thunder director, John Flynn. And Rolling Thunder, one of the most incredible, like, lean 70s exploitation revenge films. You, you know, sort of one of the iconic, like, post-Vietnam War. The guy comes back, and it's, it's actually him and a very young Tommy Lee Jones in the 70s. Right. Tom Devane. And he has a hook for a hand because the bad guys shove his hand into a garburator, which was a shot they had to remove from the movie because audiences, the test audiences were like screaming in terror. Um, and <laughs> awesome. John Flynn, just one of the nastiest, cruelest, like the when when they break into that brothel and they start shooting people in like the climax of Rolling Thunder. Oh, man. It is like legs are being shot off fingers are being shot off with shotguns and you see it all and this is in like the early 70s when like gore wasn't as big as it was eventually in the 80s like it is incredibly violent so seeing john flynn do that kind of stuff with seagal and out for justice it's incredible like there's a part yeah. now for justice for seagal like takes a cleaver to some dude's hand. John Flynn just likes fucking up hands, I think is the main Ooh. thing. Um, <laughs> but I think, Jamie, you were leading towards the fact that, you know, like that movie would have been, and a part of our review of that was that like mm -hmm. Flynn directs the shit out of it. There is like a sort of um, tragic generational New York kind of crime drama, a la so kind of Scorsese in the writing that Seagal then kind of reworked his own screenplay to do the <laughs> Seagal thing inside of it. <laughs> right. And Bill Forsyth, pretty much should have been a co-lead of the film and he yes. was upstaging him so much in the performance that Seagal as a producer cut 30 minutes of just Whoa. nothing but Bill Forsyth like family background character elements and like the whole tragic neighborhood story of them as kids and all of this stuff because he wanted Seagal to be the star and he wanted to be like no 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 people are here not to see you know, this emotional performance that Bill Forsyth is giving about, you know, the, the history of this New York crime family. No, no, no. They're here to watch me not realize I'm an asshole and just like knock some dude's teeth out with a pool cue and like do police brutality while moralizing at everyone that violence is bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of this, this topic, there is a quote actually from uh, Andrew Davis I saw here and he's talking about like working with Seagal and, and, and this quote says, uh, 
Harry Stemmel wanted us to get back together again, saying that Seagal was only in the movie 41 minutes. Tommy Lee is in the movie longer than Steven. It was fine. It was fine. It worked out well. We had a nice time down in Mobile and had a lot of fun making the movie. And that was the movie that got me The Fugitive. So it was worth it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Davis very clearly working on Above the Law, where Seagal, we've already covered this on The Big. I do recommend going back and listening to The yeah. Big Above the Law on the oh, yeah. Ground episode. We, we did a, a huge, like, we read out, you know, the very first profile of him. We read out some of the original things where they were pitching him as a star and you know how it all came from the fact that he had like a star agent who literally made a bet that was like <laughs> i could turn anyone into a movie star i'm so fucking good at this job. really and that's yes. what it was that's that's, oh, that's literally think, what yeah. happened that was that how was that was how so he sick. got his first gig it's it's nuts like his whole backstory awesome. we might get into a little bit if i because i took a couple notes down here but like you know we did a whole episode talking about you know how above the law was like allegedly adapted from his own life as this myth, <laughs> mythical CIA guy and combined elements of his time living in Japan and, you yep. know, doing Aikido and everything that he does and merging that into a story, you know, again, as he always does a derivative studio cop movie about getting revenge on some sort of institution that has hurt him, him or his family or just been corrupt and, you know, uh, not properly used his skills or talents or, you know, he has all kinds of issues that, you know, he has with these people, but no matter what he's getting revenge on them. And the title of the movie is three words, except for this film for whatever reason. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Even though I heard that they did try to give this a three word title. I can't remember what it was. They did like last, last to surrender or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, That was was the original. Yeah. Yeah, and which is just like original, yeah, which is action movie, action movie ad lib right there, dude. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the what original all title of his was things are. Yeah, yeah like, like marked for death, fire down below, half past <laughs> dead, into the sun, code of honor. Like this is every. These yeah. are all real movies that he has starred in, and he's always playing a guy who's like Nico Toscani, Mason Storm, Forrest Taft, Casey yeah. Ryback in this one, Gino Felino, one of my favorite ones. <laughs> My favorite attribute of him too is that he's always super skilled, but everyone always underestimates him. So he gets that. He always has that scene where, you know, they're just like, you're just this guy, you're just a normal guy, whatever. And then he busts out the kicks. He busts out the, uh, the grapple moves and all of that. He's, yeah, he's yeah, always he misunderstood and he's always skill. confident. Yeah, exactly. The knife. <laughs> and everybody always like all the normal people around him when he's acting normal, all think he is like the man. Yes. Oh, like he's so all, revered and respected. He's cracking everybody up. Every joke lands. Everybody's <laughs> high-fiving him. Stuff. Yeah. He's like he's like the fonz of that ship. He's the man's yeah. man. He can he can talk to anybody. He knows every language. He he's an expert in every single craft there is to know about anything. He knows everyone in the neighborhood. He's yeah. so talented. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves and respects him for his strong character and moral fiber, even when he's beating <laughs> the shit out of them. We talked about that moment in On Deadly Ground, where he literally slap hands a dude until the dude isn't racist anymore. That's right. That's, all, that's what like you that's, gotta do. <laughs> and, and, and like that's Pierre Seagal like he yeah. directed on Deadly Ground which by the way I have to give this movie some credit right off the start because um, he weaponized the success of this film to get his directorial debut and his and his oh. last directorial outing he never got to direct again because it bombed so hard and it's a shame because um, it's the best but he one. Used- <laughs> Deadly Ground on Deadly Ground is so good I was I was because I watched that again recently and it has a it's character it's my favorite Seagal movie it's gone forever <laughs> yeah. and you will never see again where Michael Caine just plays 
the most evil guy in the world. Artoon racist you know I mean? oil baron. <laughs> yeah, just like you know, you don't need a backstory about. He's just fucking the devil. <laughs> yeah, fuck you if you want to know why. You know what I mean? And it's so he's so great. Yeah, and 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 in that movie, Seagal is the native environment whisperer that all of the oil drill workers respect for some reason. They just like don't fuck with the guy in the deerskin jacket and the ponytail. Like, get it, get out of that that shit. Yeah, even though you probably kind of want to mess with him because he's got a deerskin jacket and a ponytail. Yeah, well, and then that movie is literally him doing slasher villain eco terrorism to protect the environment somehow. I mean, we, we discussed it at the end of that, but he basically just like blows up the oil rig and probably creates one of the biggest oil spills like ever <laughs> in that final set piece. And, and yeah, like it's just a total vanity project about, you know, once again, I think in, in that, I think I compared it. It was sort of like, it had a little bit of like first blood in it, but it also had a Billy Jack in it which is like a, a type of movie no one has ever tried to recreate and that's why i have to give seagal huge props because billy yeah. jack is like uh, a dude in the 70s made a trilogy of films where he's a guy in an all denim fit and no shoes who just roundhouse kicks uh various social and political progress into being in america and the third one Whoa. is a three-hour courtroom drama with this guy no who's also native he's a white guy with a native hat and he just like protects oh. the, the hippie kids from all the all the <laughs> cops so that is an incredible film and seagal is the only person ever who has the a brain special enough and the ego and power and money to do it and he did it in his own way and on Deadly Ground that had like bear fighting vision quests and, you know, <laughs> insane John Flynn level horror movie squibs and just like a crazy, crazy movie. And really good. That work kind of, too. <laughs> yeah, really good. It's gorgeous looking. It's gorgeous. In general. Yeah. I mean, he, oh he, my he, got, he got Walter Hill's cinematographer to shoot that. Right. So like, you know, he has good taste in that department. And then he ends the whole movie, obviously, on a 10 minute TED talk about um, the environment <laughs> and how we should all so be great. working together. Oh, it's it's, it's, it's amazing. And that is the purest Seagal. And that's the thing that kind of going back maybe into Under Siege here and what would, you know, what was interesting was that, you know, in in things like Above the Law and Out for Justice and On Deadly Ground, you could really see Seagull, the producer, with his hands yeah. all over those movies, like rewriting elements of the script to get his own sort of like backstory in there and get his own personality and ego and all the different various things that he wanted in there. And this is one of the few movies where I feel like I saw that less Mm -hmm. because it felt like this was like a project that a studio decided and they decided, well, he's not the, you know, necessarily, you know, he's going to be the star of it, but he's not like, you know, there are other stars in here. We have Tommy Lee Jones in this, you know, this is going to be more of a traditional studio picture, even though it stars one of the most baffling <laughs> movie stars <laughs> uh, and action stars of the nineties literally only has a gig basically on a bet. Um, and I bet that paid off and, and worked, well. but you know, like Seagal, he, he's not gigantic like Arnold. He's not like, you know, not he's not really in not, shape. 
Yeah, he's never no. like jacked to the nines. Yeah, he's always like beer league softball body. Yeah, there's even yeah, well, there's I, a couple shots where they show like the side profile. Yeah, I'm not trying to body shame the guy, but when you're an no, action yeah. star, you probably should look like Arnold in some way. Yeah, uh, he and, looks better than me. Yeah, but yeah, it's like he's got on, a, yeah. he's got like a tank, and there's just like no definition to his arms, and he's got <laughs> kind of a gut, and and in a way, I almost respect that more. I guess there's like I battle with Seagal a lot in my brain. Um, yeah, well, but, I, I, I went back to try and see how people felt about this movie when it came out. And I loved reading in, in Ebert's review that he even kind of noticed that this was like the beginning of Seagal's thick boy era. And he <laughs> even said in his Roger Ebert in his review said, yeah, he kind of looks like a fat chef, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that's ruthless. Dude, you know, so, golly. <laughs> yeah, so he, does, he doesn't have the Arnold, like, you know, huge godlike painting like body. He doesn't have no. even the Van Damme kind of like genuinely impressive athleticism. Right. He doesn't have the Stallone thing where he like really actually cares about the characters and the writing. He really just was just this a egomaniacal bullshit artist. Yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. just thinking, I, I was rewatching, I was like, because maybe it was because it was filmed in the ship. I was like, damn, he's like tall. Like, that's what I kept coming yeah, He's with. He's he tall. Is. He is yeah, tall, He's like 6'4". Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing, like, on a, like, when he's on screen, that works, I'll say. Because he's so much yeah. bigger than everybody else. Like, he kind yeah. of has this, you can believe that he could still beat these people up. It's just it's just to lack the, the definition is kind of funny, especially in this era, because it was so built around those kind of superstars. And uh, he just doesn't have that at all. Um, well, and, and it's weird seeing him play a character that doesn't feel like it was written as much for him. Um, yeah. because like there's yeah, a couple like you elements felt like, like Bruce Willis could have done this or like, you know, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. literally, I mean, it's, it. it is, it, it is a huge, <laughs> it is diehard. Hard. It also oh, is Air Force one. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that too, even in comparison to say commando, you know, like this is a lot more grounded. It's a lot more you know, mm -hmm. realistic. The only thing that's not realistic, sure. I guess, kind of about it is, you know, sort of some of the ways that Busey and Tommy Lee are kind of trying to play the characters, like how cartoonishly vague they can sometimes cool. be and kind of, you know, how crazy violent they can be sometimes. Yeah. And also, um, the physicality, I guess you could say of, uh, Seagal, who we've always talked about, you know, that even his martial arts, like he, he pitched himself as like, you know, he's like a Jackie Chan when he was sending in his right. tapes to Warner brothers and stuff. And it's like his version of martial arts again, is not that genuine athleticism or the choreography. It's, it's those fucking Aikido demonstrations that he fucking does where he just like yeah. a, a very clearly a, a planted student runs at him and he waves his hand and they like fly 10 feet into the air. Yeah. He does yeah. like a you wrist know? flip. Yeah. If you yeah. guys haven't looked up the uh, the ones where he takes on like 20 people at a time, they're the fucking best because it's clear that they have they're, they're most likely students of his. Right. So they have this mindset, like even if I could take him out, I don't want to because then I'm just probably going to make him look bad. It's going to shame me, whatever. So it's it's funny to just watch him like toss these students over and over again, knowing he they could easily just tackle the guy like five at a time but he's just <laughs> side swiping them oh look how fast i am i'm so skilled at this and it's not to say that he doesn't have like any athleticism when he does his fighting i do think that some of his like grapple moves are it's apparent that he has some training it's just not oh, they absolutely work like for show cbd yeah yeah right exactly but he doesn't yes. but that the whole reason he works is because just blind, unflinching, 
bulletproof confidence. (laughs) Just, yeah, the way, the way he like, the way he said, I'm like, if you watch, I'm watching this movie and I'm like, I mean, dude, I think he's good at karate. Just because of the (laughs) the way he just, I'm just like, that's what I like. His face as he punches is what I think the face of a guy who's good at karate would make. You know right. what I mean? Very confident. He's he's composed. That is, that is his central talent is like looking straight into your face and lying to your face and being like, it's convincing though. You know, it, yeah. he's sincere. He's he, confident about it. I mean, in that profile we talked about, he, he, he literally says to the person who's writing the profile that he was in the CIA and he did missions right. for the CIA and... You know, he he has been the bodyguard of like famous, uh, you know, heads of state. And, mm. you know, he he trained at the L.A. Police Academy and like all stuff that like just never happened. But right. he says it so bluntly and it makes him look cool. And he needs to so, sort of the same as Arnold. He likes that image of that people look at him and he's like, man, that guy is cool and we worship him. But he and just he also kill. adds in. He adds in more elements to it, though, where he's also like holier than thou a little bit as well. Oh, yeah, he's never done it. He never does any in any of his movies. He never does anything wrong. Yeah, no, ever, ever, ever. Yeah, or if he does, he doesn't think that it's wrong. Like we we watch him and Out for Justice do police brutality straight up, but in in things like Above the Law, he'll straight up look at the torture expert. He'll be like man, what do you, what information are you getting out of these people? You can't be torturing these people. And really his issue is that they're torturing people, not on the clock, like not on company time, (laughs) because when he goes and becomes a cop, he runs into a bar and just smashes up a bar and throws people around and is for information. He also has like really strange hangups with certain character stuff. I'm reading here that um, at first he had a problem with the uh, the playmate, the dancer. I can't remember her name right now. I, I don't oh, the look Playboy up. Bunny. Yeah, and and <laughs> he's like, he's like, who is at first a bimbo jumping out of a cake and gets paired up with me? And he wasn't happy about that. But then he went yeah, on the girl to say, from, uh, Blob. Yeah, yeah. And then he went on to say that, but she gradually reveals her intelligence. So I was okay with it by the end or something like that. So, yeah, she just, gradually re- reveals herself to be a, a Delta Force operator. Yeah, which, which is the weirdest. So good. Like they did it, they danced with that in Commando a little bit when she's like, but like at, by the end, she's like loading up assault rifles, like, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. Center mask, like, oh, it's great. I also think, uh, speaking of his, like, uh, just his confidence in the karate and all that, I mean, the first scene where he fights those, uh, those officers when they insult him by, um, like, the Busey spits in his soup or whatever, and then he, like, that's not a hit, this is a hit, then punches him or whatever. When oh. the, the officers start to surround him, he's just kicking their ass without any trying whatsoever. Like, there's almost no effort. And it's actually him that has to stop the confrontation so it doesn't get out of hand. He has to surrender to them before they take him over, which I, I just thought yeah, was a perfect like example. The mighty warrior. Yeah, the mighty warrior sheathes his sword. Exactly. You know, at the moment. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and it, that's just, I think, uh, <laughs> for this film... Uh, specifically as a perfect tone setter for his character and just Steven Seagal in general. I mean, he pretty much does that in every single movie. Yeah. Well, I mean this, this, the thing that I think really works about this for, and like just on maybe Andrew Dave Davis's element is that, cause again, I, I don't think that he has the unhinged quality that John Flynn or like that nastiness. And he doesn't have right. when Seagal would direct his own thing. He doesn't get as like insane, uh, as yeah, <laughs> he and does, it's not he, as like has, maximalist as Commando, even or something. No, like that. no, he, he he he's just a very very sturdy, you know, sort of unassuming 
craftsman and something like that does work really well for a movie like this where like it's built to just take you kind of like on the rails experience of you know uh this was literally pitched as diehard on a boat um (laughs) it takes place on the uss um missouri and i i will say the the effects work i understand the nomination that they got it's really well done like the Mm -hmm. uh, i I know that they they shot most of the interiors on two different uh, museum boats. So ones that have been retired and people just kind of look at. So they are real. Um, And they shot all the interiors there. Um, I don't know how they did the stuff where it actually looks like exteriors on the water because I know that they didn't actually get a fully functioning one to go on the water. So I'm not exactly sure if that was like I, a comp thing that they I, did. I or read. I, I, I know when it hits nighttime, they just used the boats and they covered them with uh, they they pulled up like a giant like hundred foot black tarp or something like that okay. so that they could uh, make it look like it was pitch black. And that's why it's like you can't see anything in the distance when you're looking at those shots. Oh, the awesome. daytime stuff is like I have no idea how they did it. <laughs> the uh, it does say here that they use, and I don't know what this is, so maybe it ha- it's completely unrelated. But they use something called the uh, introvision process, where it's like some type of oh, front projection. I don't know if that had anything to do with the external shots or not, but some is yeah, like some po- different technique of sorts. Possibly, it, it might not have. I don't think it would have worked for the big wide shots, okay. but it definitely could have worked for closer shots when, like, they because essentially that's just um, kind of the effects that they're trying to do right now because obviously Mm. we've been using kind of green screen and blue screen for a long time but uh, a lot of major productions have been trying to switch to that uh, background thing that you do where you actually project like a digital background okay Um, some of the big effects companies are trying to do that so it's kind of like it's basically rear projection like the old 60s you know kind of effect that you would see but with the uh, with the added element of like nowadays of like those backgrounds are, you know, they can create like little digital sort of camera motions through them and stuff like that. Like it basically looks like you're shooting on a real background and mm. all of the real lighting from the screens that are behind the actors are actually like lighting their faces and things like that. Um, so it sounds like they did a very early version of that. So where they would have like took real footage of them shooting, you know, like the ocean and they just would have projected it behind the actors and shot projected footage behind them. But that doesn't necessarily work for, um, the huge wide shots of of the boats and stuff working, yeah. but still really cool effect and would it really would have been really time consuming, and you know it, it definitely looks a lot better than if they had just like blue screened and tried to do the chroma key stuff that they yeah. would have been doing at the time. Definitely. Yeah, I'll tell you what, whatever they used, it fooled me because I was like, look at them shooting on the seven seas, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, no, it's really really convincing. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is something that you need when you have the fact that again, you have like a, you know, a ridiculously absurd premise like you have in this film, which is like some sort of scheme to steal the nuclear missiles on the ship that Tommy Lee and Gary Busey kind of like team up together. And there's this whole diehard kind of element to it where like it kind of starts off and it does a lot of really effective cross cutting where you can kind of tell that something is a little off, but or that people are making moves. People kind of have plans going. Mm-hmm. And the the opening kind of like third of the movie is Seagal is the lowly ship's cook to a captain that he's worked for for a long time. And you go, why is Seagal the cook? That doesn't make sense. I mean, he's got the chef hat on, you know, (laughs) but he's got a secret past, obviously. Mm. Yes. Um, 
and you know they they are on a ship that uh, was used in uh, Pearl Harbor, and it's being decommissioned in California. Uh, President Bush Senior is there to do the sort of ceremonial gestures that they're going to do, and um, it is also the captain's birthday. So Gary Busey, who is like <laughs> one of the uh, uh, I've, I don't even know what position he's like commander or an admiral. He's the XO, I think like the, like the executive yeah. officer, second command. Yeah. Commander yes. Peter. Gary Busey, uh, would this have been around the same time or just after point break? I think that's the only other time we've talked about him like in full. Cause point break was 90, right? 91. Yeah. So this was yeah. right off of point break. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Hot streak. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Gary Busey is second in command and he's, he's throwing, uh, a, a surprise birthday party for the captain in order to get a chopper onto the boat that the captain hasn't sanctioned because that's the only way they're like, you know, the captain needs to san- sanction everything that you're doing. He's like, well, you uh, talk to the captain then. Cause you'll spoil his birthday party. It's so funny. Yeah, and he does that, that like five times, <laughs> like five times. People are like, are you sure we should be doing this? And he's like, oh, do you want to ruin the surprise party? It's like yeah. a perfect s- plot device, you know? <laughs> yeah. Me- meanwhile, Seagal is in the kitchen cooking for the captain. He's talking about how he grew up on the bayou and he's so <laughs> down to earth. He's the working man. He crosses racial lines. All That's of the right. crew is dancing, being so cool and casual. Dances. Yep, <laughs> yep. And... It is eventually revealed as this sort of crew and this chopper sort of lands on the boat. Um, it is home to a Playboy bunny as uh, played by um, the girl who I'm. Why am I blanking on her name? Erica right? Elnick. Elnick. Yeah. Miss, Miss July 89. Miss July right. 89. Yeah. We previously saw her in the Chuck Russell's remake of The Blob. And I guess she was also in E.T. But I haven't seen E.T. in a long time. Whoa. So I don't remember who she was in E.T. Yeah. Um, maybe she was one of the she kids. She was E.T. Yeah. <laughs> she was E.T. There you go. Um, but. It's home to her and Tommy Lee Jones, who is like this <laughs> dressed like a boomer hippie, uh, hippie rocker uh, yeah. band guy, like the leader who's, of like a Skinner esque jam band. Yeah, he's he's got like the 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 leathered uh, bejeweled uh, jacket. He's got a tie dye <laughs> pink and blue shirt. He's got the bandana and the cool. aviators, Doesn't and he he's like, just there to party, man. He's there to rock out. Yeah, yeah. he's the MC. and he's like from the moment they that he's on screen the very first shot you get of him in the helicopter next to the uh next to erica um so energetic just yeah he's you can tell exactly what he's gonna do throughout the movie he's kind of doing like a it's not quite as cartoonish as what he eventually did in um batman with two-face but it's it's like 50% of his two-faced character. He's just kind of like really um unhinged and unpredictable and he's he's very energetic the way he moves his body around and he's very like excited about things that are yeah, happening. He's he's, he's yeah. really I mean this is the kind of performance you want for a movie like this because yes, the writing it. of the character can sometimes be sort of vague or generic of a kind like again you really don't understand what his exactly his gripe yeah, or I his got, plan is I got, you just know that he's like jokerified by the cia <laughs> yeah i got these like two mixed uh signals from him where at one scene i thought he was saying how he actually used to be 
a hippie from the from the revolution that failed, quote unquote. So he's back to like he was, he was, he was like an anti-nom protester or something like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And now he's like, well, now I'm going to use like your weapons against you to cause the revolution to happen. But then also there's a thing where he says, I think he he's wants a former to sell, operative. Yeah. And he wants to sell like Tomahawk weapons probably to like, I think it's North Korea or he stole from North Korea or no, something he, like that. He, he, he wants to use a North Korean submarine to sell them right. in the Middle East. <laughs> there it yeah. is. There I it think is. he was doing like uh, <laughs> pretending to be crazy to like trick the, to trick everybody else while he's actually doing like, like tactical mastermind stuff. Yeah. In the background. Yeah. Like you know what? That would make more sense. That would make more sense to kind of like throw them off a little bit because yeah, it is eventually revealed that he was like a former CIA spook. Like he was a guy who was yeah. stationed in Korea and right. they, they end up being like, you know, he started to do his own missions and he started to, you know, gain too much power. So we tried to kill him. And then, then he went off the grid and is coming back with his revenge mission, um, which is to steal all these nukes from the government. And, I do love that the CIA guy who shows up like into the Doctor so, Strange love meeting, he's just like sweating buckets. He's just like, oh, he's yeah, like this guy's pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was like, yeah, the guy, um, you know, at drinking punch at, and doing the MCing for the jazzy rock band. Yeah, that guy is like one of the craziest assets I've ever controlled. And um, yeah, I tried to kill him. So now he's probably pretty mad at us. <laughs> Yeah, and he's yeah. got these amazing moments where I, one of my f favorite moments from him is actually really simple where he's initially talking to the the round table of the elites or whatever. And he's as each person comes on the phone, he's just kind of like, hi, Tom. Hey, Rick. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Really, yeah, just like really casual about it. Like he's not being a terrorist right now. And I thought that that was really funny. I enjoyed that. Yeah, no, talking about his performance, I, I was I noticed this because they, they allude to like their code names are like Looney Tunes characters. And <laughs> yeah, looking back, I was like, he's so for the first half, at least like when he's in control, he's so Bugs Bunny to me. <laughs> Whereas like he's fooling everybody. He's like bouncing off the walls with energy. You know, he's pulling out the chair as everybody's trying to, you know what I mean? He's just yes. like in control and just like having a blast, like just fucking with people. Yeah. And, I love that yeah. line that he gets. Cause he calls himself road runner. That's road the code runner. name that he, that he, he uses. He a perfect meet me. Yeah. He goes, <laughs> meet, meet. and then, and then he goes, the reason he chose it is because that motherfucker's never been caught or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Cool. That's great. And then you also yeah. have like to count, like not, I guess it's not a counter. It's kind of just to uh, bring some more uh, energy and excitement to the film where you have Busey, like, He's not totally quite as unwarded, pathetic. Like, yeah. uh, he's like, he's the opposite of Seagal, where he's like the bitch made guy who, right. you know, wants more power, but isn't earning it because he, you know, he he keeps sucking up to the captain too much. Whereas Seagal, Seagal will go off the books and break the rules and get made the cook and he will still love his job. You know, he doesn't yeah. give a shit. He's just there for for the men and the mission. And Gary Busey is actually kind of like, you know, he wants to climb the ladder. He he wants personal uh, he's greedy in a way that, you know, is uh, immoral in comparison to the Seagal character because Seagal needs this counter character like this. Yeah, I find yeah, it interesting. He has very much like, oh, my bad. Go ahead. I was just gonna, uh, real quick, I, I did find it interesting that he um, 
he chooses to to dress up in drag to go to the yes. captain's lodge and say like for no reason yeah no yeah. real reason <laughs> and it, it, he even he as he's going to the captain's quarters he even like lifts his skirt up and shows all the soldiers his ass and and then goes in and shoots the captain and stuff and it's just like it's such a bizarre choice for his character that i feel like there was there's like something underlying there a little bit with him like he's going through some type of like confusion or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. that that man is definitely manic and uh not yeah. under control which is funny because he eventually looks into the cap after he murders the captain in cold blood while <laughs> cross-dressing um <laughs> He, he looks like Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. Um, he even moves. He's he, got that one shot where he's dancing in front of the band and he's like moving yeah. his legs in the dress and everything like that. <laughs> he, anyway. he, he, he reads the uh, report that the captain gave him on his character and his job. And it, and it literally just says, yeah, he's okay, but he, he, he the dude kind of acts weird. He has a strange personality to him. And I, I recommend... You know, something's off about him. I recommend that you give him a psych eval before you give him his next job. <laughs> and he's furious. And he's like, do I look like I need a fucking psych eval or whatever? <laughs> he looks like Mrs. Doubtfire. Off. Yeah, he's in drag. Holding a gun. He, he's literally just murdered the captain because he's psychotic. And yeah, it's just, it's 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 very, very funny. There's There's a lot of great little, you know, detail in there that's really amplified by the performances. And what's funny is just that I guess Seagal is the one who's kind of underplaying his role in comparison to everybody else because Seagal at this yeah. point is um he's locked in the meat locker by Gary Busey because Gary and him kind of have a little bit of a, of a rivalry about the way, you know, because of the way that they look at each other where, you know, he's just like, you know, he's been, uh, Gary has kind of all the professional, uh, badges and everything like that. He's been kind of honored and Seagal is discredited, even though Seagal is very clearly the more honorable, you know, uh, right. person on the ship. Um, but he ends up in order to, you know, fuck with his relationship with the captain because he's going like, why are you throwing a surprise party? The captain doesn't eat anything unless I cook it. Uh, starts like a, like a huge fight. They throw him in the meat locker. And I do like the, the, uh, little detail where they're like, he, uh, they say, throw him in the brig. He said, you can't throw me in the brig. You need the captain's permission to throw me in the brig. And he's like, good point. And then they throw him into the freezer <laughs> instead. And they just throw one little Marine down there with him to guard him. And so that is why Seagal is not in the movie for as much as you would think, because while this whole mission is happening, it really is the Tommy Lee and Gary Busey show for like, you know, and 40 minutes to an hour of the yeah. movie almost. <laughs> And the thing is, is if you because it's a Seagal film in a, in a way, you know that if you unleash Seagal, then 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 it's over because he's not going to do anything but win. He, that's just how his characters are written. And he's going to, you know, you know, so you have to have almost that like 30 minute buildup without Seagal, because if he's on screen, he's going to do something about it. Um, like he, he's not the type of. Uh, like we've said before, he's just not the type of, of actor to allow, like he wouldn't let like a talking scene happen that preps this. He, he needs to be completely away so that when he is in the action, he can do something about it. If, if that makes sense, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's like they needed to like distract Seagal, like a cat yes. with like a laser pointer. <laughs> to, like, fuck off for like a little bit. They were like, let, exactly. let Tommy Lee do his thing for a little bit. Okay, man, share the screen. That's exactly, exactly. <laughs> and they, they got him locked down there. They're like, he hates officers. He hates America. 
<laughs> he's a psycho, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, mm. And I, I will say, I think Andrew Davis does a really good job with, again, the, a lot of the solid cross-cutting to this of, of him, you know, being trapped downstairs, being like, hey, do you hear gunfire? Oh, like, sorry, you, you got to get whisper. You got to get the eye squinted. That's right. Hey, do you hear gunfire? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and meanwhile, you're doing these really solid steady cam camera moves like around the ship as we're sort of tracking sort of the tactical movements of the terrorists. They're grabbing people, shooting people. They're throwing them into the front of the ship. They're basically securing uh, all the different parts of it and making sure that everyone gets stuck in the I forget what they call it, the the forecast thing of the of the ship where they're in the very front of it. Is that where um, they eventually try to drown them? That's where they eventually yeah, try to drown. Crazy, it has a crazy name. Yeah, that it is crazy. I, it's it's spelt forecastle, but they never say it that way. And I was like, Navy guys, they can have their you know they have their own <laughs> words. They can do their own thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so everyone is locked in the front of the ship except for this one Marine guard and the chef and the Playboy Bunny. And you know what that somehow means? Still it's in time. The cake this whole time and didn't notice yes. until Seagal yeah, she, walks she, into the she room. makes an excuse that they like gave her pills because she felt it's nauseous. Like a oh, yeah, okay. yeah, so she okay. so she like fell asleep in the cake. Gotcha. That's what gotcha. she says, which I is forgot. a very funny image actually. When they massacre the entire party and Seagal eventually you know breaks out of the meat locker, makes his way up, and he's on the dance floor with all the corpses everywhere and these great little sort of tracking maneuvers following him, observing the carnage, <laughs> and then. She just bursts out of the cake and starts dancing to the music. And, and he's like, girl, like this timing, it's so bad. Like, yeah. Look at the corpses around you. Like it's unbelievable. He's like, what's your angle? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He immediately starts like interrogating her after, you know, yeah. even though she, you know, she has to have the obligatory, you know, she pulls the shirt off and everything like that. And he literally wearing no shirt. He picks her up and puts her down on the counter like a child. <laughs> yeah. I was like, whoa. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. There was like, that was like un, that was like a weirdly like horny moment that like yeah. lasted for like half a second where I was like, oh my god, you know, like it was very shocking. Yeah. And then you get a little bit of like him trying to act where, you know, he's starting to make some of the jokes. <laughs> like she says something like, Who are you? And he, he tries his best to pull off like a sly line where he goes, I'm just a lowly, lowly chef. And um, <laughs> or a lowly, lowly cook. And you know, yeah. she's like, we're going to die. So it's kind of that like, you know, cheesy 90s humor. Um, but just his like delivery itself when he's even trying to do quips that would kind of think that you'd, you know, inflect in your voice here and there or whatever. No, it's just a, he's a straight shooter. No matter what the line is, it's just it's completely monotone and uh, cool, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. But these and, and these sort of operate where we get scenes like this and then we get scenes of like Seagal just absolutely annihilating everyone on a basically a certain floor of the ship. Like he Those goes full. Sick. He goes Those rather than so going awesome. Arnold mode, pure destruction. He goes, you know, he does the metal gear thing. He's sneaking yeah. around. He's stealthy. He's finishing off mercenaries. He's throwing, like throwing knives. knives at them, yeah. breaking necks. Um, you know, and, and doing that diehard thing of like, you know, cause we just talked about it uh, just a couple months ago but doing that you know on the fly ingenuity thing like making mm. improvised explosives using a microwave you know that kind right. of thing is something that he does in this and there's a lot of really beautiful kind of like lighting to the ship too i guess because it was all interiors i guess they could control it really well but like when it goes dark you get like 
you know, really shadowy silhouettes on his face and, you know, really it's deep like orange oranges and, and blues of, of yeah. all the blinkering uh, sort of lights on the display of the ship and everything like that. And when the action hits, you know, the the squib work and stuff while present. And I mean, God, you, it just makes you w- long for the days when, oh, I you know. know, this was the standard, right? I know. Like just any movie ever, no matter what, it just had, you know, it, the standard was... Impact. Yeah. So when he goes around and he kills people, like they're obviously a lot more realistic than commando, but mm. it does give you that impact where, you know, you, you really do feel when he stabs a guy in the chest and it like pops, you're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. Whoa. yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. There's even shots where like people get popped right in the head and they show like the explosion in the, in the forehead. And, um, and there's parts where like, there's just soldiers kind of lying down as hostages and Tommy Lee comes up and just pops them like mercilessly. And, and, you know, the blood squirt comes right out of the back and it's, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. And once again, I just wish that was the standard. Holy hell. I miss it so much. The digital blood that like, comes now is just so uh, like weightless. It just doesn't have it's that lame. Yeah. 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 Because even if you're like watching it, like even if you're like, okay, like maybe that's not exact. It's like, Oh, like they put so much effort into that. You have to like a, a momentarily you have to applaud that. Yes. And it makes you like appreciate how hard they had to work for that. Well, that's yeah, the thing because just- you knew that there was a, a, a setup. They had to set the squib, time the squib, uh, relate it to a shot that was prior. Now it's just like, you know, as long as we have the gun in, uh, in frame, we can post the shot and then post the blood hit. And it just, it just comes off as, as lazier nowadays. And, and I do love seeing even in something like this, just, uh, just authentic action, uh, technique work. Like it's just, it's just really good. Yeah. Well, and I mean like when, and again, a, a credit to Andrew Davis too, like it, his version, of action it's just it's a lot clearly a lot more sort of like planned and choreographed it's not like aimless destruction it is very much like you know there is a choreographed beat where he slices a guy's leg which makes him kind of go down for for far enough that he can then hit the neck or you know um there are like really nasty uh elements in this like that dude who takes the giant metal girder through his chest and you watch him and come out the other side it's crazy it looks like his body actually just completely disappears like he's split in half or something like he's not even a human being when that beam goes through yeah it's that was an insane shot yeah Yeah, just like stabbing armpits (laughs) they had a lot of fun with like the claustrophobic like nature of the like they they like yeah, they yeah. definitely like incorporated that into every single like sequence in like a really cool and like fun way. And that and the thing is too, because they're in like these these smaller hallways and you know there will be three people he has to get past, he does have to strategize in a different way most of the time than just go in guns a blazing. He usually does like slice a guy's throat, take Although his gun he still out, does that him. too sometimes. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> one one of my favorite a, a Kimbo Uzis. <laughs> yeah, that's one Uzi. of my favorite parts because I literally was like, is he just and not only a Kimbo, he's cross-firing though, Cross- which is like not <laughs> how you would shoot those. Like he's that's literally got awesome. his wrists locked in opposite directions and he's just running through one of the tunnels just shooting. Using just the most inaccurate gun that's ever been created. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, 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 like but Andrew Davis is like pumping it up with the fog and the lighting and the tracking maneuvers through the actual, you know, sort of like steel hulls and everything like that. The dirty <laughs> over the shoulder shots and everything that he's pulling off. Like, despite the fact that that choreography is like nonsense, yeah. um, there's still like a lot of direction being done here and 
visuals yep. with the camera that, you know, make it feel more uh, planned than it actually is because he is just a badass at the end of the day and you've got to know that. You know, he's mm-hmm. just going to run through a room cross-firing Uzis and you're all dead and he's not going to hit any of the good guys. Um, right. Yeah. Can I push <laughs> back? Can I push is. back on you for a moment? Oh, okay. Push, push back. back. I Call think, me out. Again, Drag looking me. at it through a lens of this movie's perfect, which is what I am doing without flaw. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking so like all right you got two uzis you can't okay. you can't you can't extend your arms straight out on both sides you're in that very thin yes. hallway so i honestly do think the only way that you can do that is if you do the crossfire you might be right i'm doing it right now I'm, and this is scientifically yeah, set sound so yeah interesting no, okay make hold sure on make sure you make your hands shake like you're like a gun an Uzi. yeah and then yeah. and then lifts your arms at the same time and you're like wow that's actually pretty stable <laughs> pretty stable i'm just pretty stable keep that close to your chest that's a that's a stable yeah, shot right okay there. but 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 you're so, so you're saying that for it, it is better for I him to be aiming aiming directly at the walls that are like an inch away from him <laughs> uh okay maybe not but <laughs> i'd have to review the shot <laughs> Yeah, yeah, let's yeah, go back. Yeah, need, yeah, Jamie, Jamie, we need you to make a rule. Pull up, pull up the footage. Us, which one of us is the genius and which one of us is the dunce? <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, no, right. but there's you know the 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 action I think is definitely you know like one of the high points of this film. I think that Andrew Davis is really. I mean, I think it's even better than some of the stuff we saw in Above the Law, and we had good things mm-hmm. to say Above the Law. But I think Andrew Davis, you can tell, is becoming a little bit stronger of a visual. Um, filmmaker yeah and it is i think will is right i think a huge thing is just like the set they take full advantage of you know how tight everything has to be and how up close and personal he sometimes has to get with the with the violence and then they also merge that then with like the wacky kind of tonal shifting of tommy lee like practically bouncing off the walls and at one point like just like Jimi hendrix is just the score for this movie as like (laughs) they shoot down a jet with like huge guns that's coming by and and the cue too is when the jet explodes Jimi hendrix starts playing i think it's like purple haze or something i can't remember exactly what the song is but um yeah, like the, that cue was awesome. Uh, and I also like their use. There's one part where they uh, incorporate the outside of the the ship where Seagal is like going on the side of it. Um, and they do this thing where they they pull up the anchor and it actually slices him like through yes. the, the shoulder. Oh, yeah, because they're trying to. Yeah. Yeah, and not the body shame, cool. but he is looking like shit in that wetsuit, <laughs> dude. Oh my god, it's so because they like because they cut the wetsuit. You could see like his like the back, like the worst part of his body, which is like like the top of his back, bottom of his arm, and you're right. like you're like, is this like is, is this a farmer? Like, what is, who is this guy? You know? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, but he's it, he's moving around the boat like he's like snake, right? He's yeah, like yeah, exactly. it's very splinter cell. Yeah, a yeah. lot of it is. Yeah, and then I think he even like climbs the anchor to get back on the other side of the boat. So it is very splinter cell, Metal Gear Solid kind of kind of shit, which I do right. Appreciate. And also, both movies have the moment where the girl ha- gets the moment to save him. Yeah, where she also has to shoot the guy who she captures learns him. How to I lo- kill. <laughs> yeah, because it's very funny because it's like I know she has to have some sort of like you know, uh, some sort of arc, but it's like in like this situation, I'd be like, okay, I'll probably kill somebody. <laughs> if I have to. You know what I yeah. Mean? Yeah. 
I'm uh, Miss July 1989, and there I only have two rules. I don't use guns, and I don't date musicians. And then literally, <laughs> she uses a gun in this, and his quip back to her is like, soon you're going to be dating those musicians, you know? Because like you know, he's so charming. Um, oh, my God. And yeah, it is, it is crazy to think that, you know, she's... There, there is a how fast she converts into like the character who's there to help. I'm like, I was honestly wondering like why he was like explaining stuff to her at a certain point because mm. <laughs> she keeps asking questions. He's just like, yeah, I'm making a phone so I can call the security. She's like, it's so it's like a car phone, and he's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like a car phone. Um, <laughs> Get her out of here! <laughs> like at, Jesus. At, at one point, she literally grabs the answers the phone for him while he's in a gun fight and then like holds the 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 speaker and mic up to him while he's shooting and they're like yeah i'm kind of in trouble man um he's like he's like he's like so you just disobeyed our orders and he's like well the way i see it is you can court-martial me later and if not i'll be dead or something like that (laughs) sound logic honestly and and their only response is uh there's a lot of trouble on that ship yeah Yeah, it sounds like referring to sakal of course when like uh, it's all it's like the war room and like they're like uh, some guys like there's some guy named Casey Ryback on the ship and everybody's like what the fuck Casey Ryback that Holy guy shit is it's fucking, Jason Bourne that, that guy, guy is so cool yeah. like, that guy fucking rules dude we are fine <laughs> <laughs> oh my fucking god yeah, well, he, I mean, like, as always they're all up player like how are you you know he's like intimately familiar with all of them it's really great yeah well, they, I'm, as always in a Seagal movie, one of the one of my favorite Seagalisms is they have to have the expository moment where other characters are talking about how badass he is. Oh, and all his awards um, and accomplishments. Yeah, yeah, they were like the goddamn cooks a seal. He's an expert in martial arts, explosives, weapons, and tactics. He's got the silver star, the navy cross, the purple heart. <laughs> um, all of and them. And he, yeah, he has everything. And, uh, you know, his security clearance was revoked after Panama and he's a counterterrorism expert. And <laughs> meanwhile, you know, he's just making his way through because he would never say that about himself. He would never no, be so pretentious. No. Oh, he's just a lowly, lowly chef. Even yeah. at a point where it would behoove the situation to tell people that he's a seal. To like calm everybody down. He's like, nah, I'm just fucking, I'm just a guy. <laughs> I'm just a guy. You all like me though. You all respect <laughs> yeah. me. You know, we have good times in my kitchen. He likes know, the surprise, man. He he just he likes when the terrorists show up and they don't know Seagal is in the kitchen. They just he he loves it. He loves shocking. They don't know what yeah. he's up to in there, but they're <laughs> spitting in his soup, which yeah. is not okay. Ooh, he will not have it. Dude. I had to ask you guys about one line. Yeah, because this oh, line man. sat in my brain. It actually distracted me for about like 15 minutes <laughs> watching this movie. So I, I have to ask you guys if this stood out to you at all. So it's part of the, the scene where you were talking about Jamie, where, you know, she's like, who are you? Some special forces guy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm just some lowly, lowly cook. <laughs> and and he tries to literally lock her in a locker. Oh, and yeah. she she just screams when he puts her in there because you're yeah. shoving this grown woman into a locker. Like, of course, she's not going to be happy about that. Yeah. He's really confused about why she's not happy about it. And she cries and says, I hate being alone. And his retort, which <laughs> boggled my mind, was, do you hate being dead? <laughs> and I, tr- I for an entire minute I was like what did he mean by that did, did he mean to say do you hate being alive because like like I don't like 
it doesn't actually. I know it's like, I think he's meaning to say that I I think it's just a callback to him saying, if you don't shut the hell up, they're going to come and and kill you. But the thing about it is that absolutely says that I am alone line. It kind of negates that thought. And he responds to like a different thought in in a sense. You know what I'm saying? Like it it feels as if (laughs) what he's reacting to is a line that happened like two lines ago. It's, it's a strange, strange. And they just left it in. I wasn't sure if that was just the gullism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, coming from the lens of perfect movie, no, no errors in this movie. Of course. Um, He makes, (laughs) we all, we always start that way. Every time we talk about a movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He has a point where it's like, cause she's like, why don't leave me here? And he's like, this is the safest place you can be, which is like a very good point. Cause she's been just like, chilling in that cake as like chaos happens around <laughs> yeah. for like hours like and nobody's noticed a thing so he does have a point like if she just chilled there she would probably be fine so i yeah. think he's just like pissed off at this like loud and he has hottie. to carry her along now <laughs> yeah, yeah right but here's here's my thing if it was that would make sense then if it was do you hate being alive because it would be like you know you should you know if you did oh, come with me about, like you're talking about like, dramatically um, sort of, I guess, because he said, do you hate being dead? And I was like, well, if she hated being dead, then yeah, it's just a very, very strange experience. Um, and it, it, it happened to me once again, closer to the end of the film, which we'll get to <laughs> later, but there's a part okay. where he does the big, you and I are kind of the same, but he's like the hero of the film. That's like the line that a villain gets, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's like, well, that's what, like the kind of line say that. No, he says it. A hundred percent he says it. Oh, because I thought... It's the weirdest ooh. thing I've ever seen. Because I thought... Um, I love it, though. It's great. Tommy <laughs> says something like... Maybe he's... Okay, he might start that because then Tommy eventually says... Uh, you and Something like this. You and I are puppets in the same sick play. We serve the same master. And then, um, and then he says, you have faith. I don't. And that's Tommy saying that. And then I think Seagal responds with um we're not i thought that he yeah see that's why i thought he said that we're not the same no so i i got the quote here uh he uh seagal so this happens a little bit later when it is straight up seagal versus First tommy lee jones which, yeah. we, which we'll we'll get to how we get there but in the big fight where they where they get where they're supposed to be like two sides of the same coin which they don't set up that uh, well, necessarily perfectly yeah. no <laughs> <laughs> except for the fact that they are both former operators who yeah. are you know possibly sort of disillusioned by you know the 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 people who are above them and actually control the missions and everything like that but right he says um tommy says i get tired of coming up with last minute desperate solutions to impossible problems created by other fucking people and seagal responds all of your ridiculous pitiful antics aren't going to change a thing you and me we're puppets in the same sick game we serve the same master and he's uh, a lunatic and he's ungrateful but there's nothing we can do about it you and me we're the same and I was sitting there going, like, this is the kind of thing that usually the villain character says, where he's like, think about it, you know? Like, if you, you think about it, like, the hero is not that great in comparison to me. Yeah. But he's the hero character. He's the moral character who is saying, I'm kind of psychotic like you, brother. <laughs> I kind of agree with you. You're in the right. I just don't think that we should um, necessarily murder every my entire crew or drown them all, which is actually one of the more, I thought effectively scary kind of moments actually when they show Ooh, yeah. 
yeah the, the live in. videotape of them like drowning the entire crew because gary Busey comes up with the idea because he's uh like yeah we should distract him instead of coming after us he'll basically kill himself trying to save his own crew mm. and yeah the the actual just videotape footage of them live broadcasting them drowning the crew and like pointing the guns down as the dude's trying to climb the ladder and just like massacring them in there and stuff like that like i thought that was you know pretty effectively um violent and definitely you know this has a, a a good sort of uh the building of of stakes and tension and everything like that like this is sort of andrew davis's bread and butter you know yeah. he doesn't have a lot to work with so he's basically like i'm gonna amplify what i've got as you know make it as effective as i can right right yeah but but it's funny that you say that i must have in my brain i must have had it just you the way that them. you were presenting it though because that's kind of <laughs> what your point is is that my my when i was uh thinking back on my notes and i guess i didn't specify who was saying which um it 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 must have been that same thing you're you're talking about where it's like this should be the line from the other guy not not Seagal. Yeah. So I, that's probably where my confusion came from. But that's yeah, one of that's the few quirky Seagalisms in the movie, though, which is I I can't strike a movie for having a weird quirky Seagalism move it. No, uh, love uh, that moment in it because <laughs> you know other than that, this is fairly traditionally made. You know, other than a few of these small little gestures like these. Right. Yeah. But yeah. well made. That's for sure. Oh, baby. Yeah, and uh, obviously, again, he is once again progressive Steven Seagal. He is having the Playboy Bunny chase around with him, turning her into uh, a seal. That's right. And murdering basically everyone on the ship in tons of crazy sequences that we've already, some of them we've already talked about. But one of the ones I wanted to talk about was that huge moment, because again, the effects work is really incredible and worth talking about. Yeah. The huge explosion in the distance after they fire that... uh, that shoulder mounted like surface to air missile of oh, the yeah. entire crew that's being flown in to help them. Uh, that oh, kind yeah. of stuff is crazy. Um, Seagal retrofitting uh, a nuclear, a, an explosive using one of the nuclear bombs and like a condom. And I w- <laughs> wasn't exactly sure how that worked. Right? Cause I was like, you got a nuke in one hand, you got a condom in the other. And now you have like a claymore. Somehow. Yeah, yeah. I also, uh, I've seen the movie like ten times, and I'm still not exactly sure. <laughs> I also love when they're setting up the actual missiles or nukes themselves, and you see just those like giant uh, uh, bags of gunpowder that they're tossing into the to the missile um, slots or whatever. And I just I just oh, liked yeah. watching them do that work. I thought it was just kind of interesting and cool and seeing those. those yeah, machines there's do there's some thing. classic like procedural sequencing in this too. Like just even watching them like fire the guns and pull out the night vision and actually see (laughs) themselves taking down the Gary Busey gunner. And like also, you know, in typical, you know, maybe even not typical Seagal fashion, there's more teamwork in this movie than I kind of expected. Yeah, that's Um, true. By the end, he does have like a full squad rather than just a one man show. So hats off to him to allow that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And they're, you know, they're, they're getting the direct hit on the, on the other, the Korean submarine and they're high fiving and, you know, Tommy Lee starts to fucking lose it in his tie dye shirt, like around the ship, you know, like he's straight up back in Nam or the Gulf or Panama or where one of the five places he say that he says that he was, <laughs> um, he was in it all. And, man. Uh, you know, he's got the sunglasses, leather jacket. He's freaking out. He decides at the last minute because he's watching, you know, his whole mission go to shit to just with the last minute that he has to fire a nuke at Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Honolulu. 
Yeah, while while also uh, doing like the this little piggy went to market and this little <laughs> piggy went, oh mama, oh mama. <laughs> See that that specifically, I think, was what reminded me of when he goes two face mode a little bit, just yeah. because he's got that like cartoonish voice. He's kind of almost singing as he's doing certain things. It's it's at one point he's just singing as if he is an electric guitar doing the national anthem, and oh, he's just yeah. singing like the guitar. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. No, it was so funny because this was like the again I saw this at a very young age, and this was like the first Tommy Lee I saw, and so I was oh like, oh, God. he's like a fucking, he's like a Jim Carrey kind of, you know what I mean? He's like right. goofy and shit. But then I was like, oh, no, Country Pearl. But I was like, oh, this guy, I don't know what this guy's deal is. That's know? the thing about so Tommy Lee. That's the thing about Tommy Lee Jones is that I, I've I've loved the man because he's done such a variety of characters. Like he's not afraid to go outlandish and flamboyant, but then he also has very like stoic sheriff characters that I love. And mm-hmm. he, even with Rolling Thunder, like he he is actually a very uh, composed but 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 damaged person. And then by the end, he's just flinging his shotgun around and killing people. And like he's just uh, he's really um, versatile. I really like him. Yeah, I mean, I I love the final confrontation they have here where we already talked about kind of like the lines that they say to each other, but then they do like this this knife fight that they do in the control room and, you know, you got all like the, the buttons and graphs and everyone around them, but it it's reduced to two sweaty dudes just like slicing e- and dicing each other and it's shot like they're almost using like nunchucks. Like it's so fast Dude, the way the that way. they're kind of like moving. Uh, Josh, have you seen, it's a part of, I think it might be a like a Seagal gif now actually if you look up Steven Seagal, but it's him staring at the camera. It's one of his newer movies and he's doing the knife thing that he's doing in this movie, but to the camera. It's the same technique where it looks like he's <laughs> kind of just like rapidly punching the air, but he's got a knife in his hand. Um, and it was just so funny to watch this because he's doing that exact same technique in this 1992 film against Tommy Lee Jones. And I just was yeah. like, this is how he's been doing it for like 30 years. <laughs> and I just, yeah. he, it, it comes off as someone that doesn't actually know the technique, but is so confident that he's pulling something off. That's what it comes off as. And it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. And this death that Tommy Lee gets holy shit it's one of the most vicious it's that vicious. you've ever seen and oh, it's, the, it, it's, it's great payoff to the way that he's been you know sort of like maniacally acting and kind of being obnoxious around the movie and just watching you yeah. know the way that he there's three steps to it the first step <laughs> is tommy tries to slice him in the face and Seagal counters that by biting the knife which is a move i've never <laughs> seen before he literally so awesome he literally just Unreal. bites it and grabs it from him like it's a carrot. And then he starts <laughs> poking his eye out with his thumb. And then he, now that he has a grasp on his head with his thumb in his eye hole, he just stabs him <laughs> on the top of the skull with the computer. And actually there's a fourth step. And then he shoves his head into one of the fucking radar computers yep. <laughs> and it like electrocutes his body. He with kills his, the man three and, times. <laughs> yeah. It's so seconds. brutal. And that and that dummy or prosthetic or whatever they use when he gets stabbed in the head, it's good. Yeah. You know, it's like really it's really nasty. Good. And it's quick. Yeah. So it just shows like the outline of Tommy Lee getting that that knife stuck in the head and then shoved yeah, into like a radar coming screen. apart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, my brother, when he saw that eye gouge, and he granted he hasn't watched any uh uh Falchi, but um, he yeah. was like, that was one of the most insane eye gouges I've ever seen. Hey, where did that come from? <laughs> so, <laughs> like, it, it is truly a shocking moment, especially like there's a lot of 
violence in this. You know, there are knife hits and and there is the girder going through the guy, but, and yeah, there's some but there's something neck, neck slicing. There's so something so personal about that three move kill in this, and, yeah. and it's so fast, so brutal. That, yeah, yeah, it's just it's something a little bit different than the rest of the movie, and it's it's really good to save it for the finale, especially for such a flamboyant character like Tommy Lee. No, there's there's great build up to it, but yeah, and and yeah, even the sequences before that where he's just like shooting people in the back, and you can see it coming out their chest, like the, the yeah. big blood packs and everything like that. Or, I mean, even there's a great dummy work, like when explosions, there's a mm-hmm. really awesome one where he blows, he, he hits a bomb and it takes a door off its hinges and the door flies and hits a dummy and like hits a dude. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. So there's lots of great little like attention to physical detail um, in this that, you know, that that really do, you know, elevate something like this, even when it's, you know, it's getting to some of its sillier elements that aren't as realistic. But, you know, again, it has that impact. That thing that Jamie was kind of talking about that really matters Mm -hmm. um, is that you do feel, you know, you do get a kind of a shock to your system when you see, you know, really tactile, tangible action like this. And it's, and it's violent and it, you know, it, 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 it does raise the danger and the stakes away in a little bit that some movies, you know, kind of lose nowadays. Yeah. Um, but Definitely. he does successfully redirect the nuke and they blow, I think they blow up the other one in midair. So he saves the yeah. day, baby. You of know, course that's he what does. it's all about. And he end. gets the girl he and he's friends and he, with and everybody he says, Hey again. guys, look at this. And then he makes out with her in front of the whole crew and they go nuts. Like he just won, like a hit a three pointer at the buzzer. <laughs> yeah, he sails off into the San Francisco How's harbor dressed in, dressed in full de- <laughs> yeah. decoration for the captain's funeral, and the Playboy Bunny gets to go to the captain's funeral. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's all that matters in the end. Oh my god, it's it's fantastic. It's just a good time at the movies. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, pivoting towards uh, reductive rating round on this one. Yeah, uh, this one's gonna get the high three from me. Um, high three three for me on this one Uh, I think that as far as Die Hard knockoffs starring B tier action stars I do (laughs) think I slightly prefer Jean-Claude Van Damme sudden death split kicking people in a hockey arena head to toe Pittsburgh Penguins goalie gear powers booth as your villain there and I do think that despite the fact that this is like really really sturdily made I do kind of prefer when Seagal gets to go a little bit more unhinged when he gets sure, to go out yeah. for justice or on deadly ground mode. But that being said, those are my two like main quibbles with it. Other than that, this is pretty brutal. It's economical. It is a solid, you know, suspenseful diehard riff on a submarine. The craftsmanship is solid. Um, you know, the sudden bursts of violence, I think, are gross and Busey and Jones, I think, are the, the secret sauce of this. They ham it up. They're wearing funny outfits. They're mugging. Exactly what you want them to be doing. Seagal doing the whispery badass, but also the best moral human on Earth thing. <laughs> while, you know, once again, being a Navy chef who slasher kills dozens of people and sinks battleships and protects a Playboy bunny. Um, yeah. So, you Man, know, that shit. is the definition uh, for me of a three star classic. It's mi- it's got the middle brow competency to it. You know, the visual competency character actors going wild. Great sets, great kills uh, and, you know, completely sometimes nonsensical line deliveries and story beats and vaguely anti CIA political angle. So <laughs> if this is on TV and you've missed 10 minutes of it, uh, you're about to have a great time. Um, yes. And once again, the popularity of this film 
was Seagal used it to leverage the studio bankrolling on deadly ground, basically burning money in front of our <laughs> eyes. Um, yeah. Without this, we wouldn't have on deadly ground. So you have to like it. You just yeah, so the to. world is just objectively a better place because of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Is yes. I guess the argument that I'm making. And the there. butterfly effect Nature of this was movie saved. is still, is yeah. still reverberating to this day. <laughs> yeah, and, and once again, the VFX I think are really sick. I think the fact that they used real museum submarines and you know used some older footage and did the intro vision stuff that they were doing, you know, you can really tell. And again, solid, steady cam maneuvers around the ship. Great you know, knife violence and disgusting, you know, squib and gross out gags when they, you know, when saved for the most impact. Um, but yeah, for me, I think I do slightly prefer Seagal when this is uh, a little bit more egomaniacal uh, yeah. rather than as traditional as it is here, even though I think that, you know, this absolutely works perfectly fine uh, as is. But uh, yeah, I, I could have used a little bit more of Seagal preaching about anti-gun violence um, and doing <laughs> Eastern meditations of some kind uh, and moralizing every character on the ship, which always reminds me of the Miami Connection thing. The only through the eradication <laughs> of violence can we achieve world peace. That is after Steven slaughtering Seagal. an entire army of ninjas. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That is Steven Seagal, like to a T. And I do feel that, you know, this movie could have used a little bit uh, more of him doing that kind of talking that he does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm right there with you. I think this is like a, the definitive three star classic. Like it's just it, it's it's Andrew Davis giving us another sturdy entry. Um, it, it doesn't have as much Seagalisms that I would like, to, like it to just in the sense of like his more egotistical films, like Josh was saying, but there's still a lot to love here. And, um, it's just really confidently made. Like the action is very clear. Um, it, the, the story does propel very forward. Very workmanlike and controlled. Yeah. And this is actually like, it's a hundred and three minutes. So this has got that extra 10 minutes to it that instead of just that real simple 90 minute banger that Commando is, but I honestly don't really feel it. So I don't think it, this is something where I would take anything out to make it that, um, that much faster. I think no, there's a lot it, of good detail it, in it here. It has that, um, it has that ebb and flow that I was talking about, right? Like yeah. it has like real traditional pacing and structure and suspense yeah. to it in a way that commando was like in your face front to back. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it, it takes away some of the maximalism and instead just presents a more clear and competent action scene, which, uh, you know, there, there's things to like about both of those, I think. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, this is, this is a real fun movie. Uh, I probably will visit it again whenever I do like a Seagal marathon or something. Um, and yeah, just a fun time. So Check it out. Three stars. Or you will. Boys, you know what I'm going to say. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Do it. Five star Perfect banger. Movie. Yeah. Perfect star movie banger. Without, without flaw, six star banger. And I think <laughs> the reason I think that so much is because maybe it's because I'm not, I don't think I'm as read up on Seagal as you guys. I kind of have a limited uh, kind of, uh, you know, experience of him. Mm -hmm. But I do think. This, yeah, we are Seagal connoisseurs. You guys have to are Seagal connoisseurs. But I do think this is. Not maybe the most fun or the most crazy utilization of him, but I do think it is the most efficient mm. and would have been sustainable version of him. So yeah. I think I think that's why I give this such a high rating because his, the utilization of him allows Busey and Tommy Lee mm -hmm. to like just absolutely put in these performances that are like ten out of ten. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean Tommy Lee Jones out crazies. 
Gary Busey. I mean, who else can say that? You know what I mean? Like Gary Busey's tough to beat. He looks fucking weird, you know? Yeah, he even gets <laughs> in a dress in this and dances around. Yeah, fucking bodies him. I don't know. I think it's I think that's a good point, actually. Yeah, I, again, I mean, watch it again. I probably won't see anything wrong with it again. Uh, and I'll probably just do that uh, for the rest of my life. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Love Hell it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that that will uh, wrap it up for this week. That was um, Commando from 1985 and Under Siege from 1992. Uh, thanks so much, Will, for joining us and for thanks bringing for going these films along with, with us, too. That was fun. Yeah, hey, going along was, with this us. This was an absolute blast. Thank you so much for having me, guys. No problem. If you've got anything uh, to plug while you're here, this is usually where we have you do that. And I think you've okay, got something uh, coming soon. Uh, please listen. Uh, Josh mentioned it at the beginning. Please listen to my podcast. It's called A Closer Look. It's a, it's a fake documentary series about uh, the 1979 World Series between the <laughs> Lower Manhattan Gambinos and Nashville Pickers, two teams that didn't exist. Uh, me and my friend Nate, we eat every episode centers around a game in the series. Uh, each episode's like 20 minutes. You don't have to like baseball. And it cost us so much money. It cost us so much <laughs> money to make. Uh, and we think it's good. Uh, listen to it uh, if that would tickle you. Uh, we are doing season two here soon about a, like a apocalypse now esque movie set that gets, that spirals out of control and leads to the deaths of, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of people. Um, <laughs> so it should be, a, it's awesome. a blast. Yeah. It's a blast. Please listen. Uh, and yeah, thank you. Thank you again for having me boys. This was awesome. Absolutely. No I hope, I hope like what we talked about, uh, two weeks ago, ghost watch people listen to your podcast and think it's a real documentary. <laughs> yes. Hell yeah. That would be, that would be awesome. Get and you trick tons of people, investigative journalists, into looking into this stuff. <laughs> great. Um, but yes, uh, check out A Closer Look. And for our listeners, we're going to be back in one week's time where we are going to be going, as Jamie mentioned at the top of the show, erotic thriller mode. We are going yes. to be talking about uh, Down bad, one. I guess, I guess we're sticking around in the 90s. We've been sticking around in the 90s a lot lately. Nice. Um, we're going to be talking about one. Uh, Poison Ivy, which is one I haven't seen, but there's a, a print of it playing here soon that I'm intrigued about checking out. It has um, uh, Drew Barrymore, and cool. it is directed by a woman named Kate uh, Shea, uh, who is most famous, I think, for doing the sequel to Carrie called <laughs> The Rage, which okay. has a interesting reputation. I have some mm. mutuals who seem to really like it and some to absolutely hate it. So oh. I am curious about checking that out, but we're going to be pairing it with one of the more sort of seminal ones from the 90s directed by James Foley. Beer from 1996 starring Mark Wahlberg yes. and Reese Witherspoon and uh, the the bad boy himself, William Peterson. Here we go. Manhunter and to live and die in L.A. And I haven't seen uh, I don't think I've seen anything from him uh, from the 90s. I basically skipped right to like CSI. Um, right. So I'm very curious uh, how that's going to play out. So we're going to go erotic thriller mode next week over on the Patreon. Again, patreon.com slash Lizoids podcast. And then the week after, we're going to be back with a special guest. And we're going to be, I think, talking werewolves. But I haven't seen one of the films, so I'm going to find out. Um, one is the film Ginger Snaps, awesome. which is one I know that Jamie really likes. Yeah. And then the other film is one called Waxwork. And oh, I've heard of that. I have, I have no idea what this is, but uh, the, the pitch was super interesting and in that the, the movie is apparently just like bonkers and it, it has um david warner in it who we've talked about previously um who was in uh what was that time traveling sherlock holmes movie a uh, time oh, yeah. after time yeah yeah uh, is it canadian so i, I think it might be 
I can't remember if it's Canadian or not. Um, in my brain is telling me that for some reason. I don't know why. Could be. Could um, be. So, uh, but David Warner leads me to believe that it's probably British, but we will find oh, out. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so we are going to be talking about ginger snaps and waxwork. I'm not exactly sure what the pairing is, but I've heard waxwork is nuts, and Jamie tells me ginger snaps is really good. So yes. I'm excited to do that in two weeks' time. But yes, that being said, that wraps up for everything this, everything this week. Thanks so much for listening, and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. <laughs>